on today's show. We are getting to know Mike. But first, promos and pleases. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up, Andre Psyche, and add a little creative inspiration to your social media circle. Listeners, listen up. Get 25% off your order at ShadyRays.com by using the promo code GETTING. Use GETTING when checking out to get 25% off on the best sunglasses around. Shady Rays takes extreme pride in their multi-layered lens technology, which is made for high visibility and strength, making it shatter-resistant. Go get you a pair or two by going to ShadyRays.com, perusing their polarized sunglasses, then using the promo code GETTING. When you check out, it'll save you 25% on your order. Please subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod on whatever app you're listening on. Please give a five-star rating. Please take some time to write a review. Please friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on social media. Pretty, pretty, please tell someone about the pod. All of your clicking, linking, sharing, rating, reviewing, starring, tagging, and simple old school speaking about the pod is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. Mike and I were just chatting about the end of the world. Always great to start with super negativity. Thanks, Mike, for coming on and letting people get to know you, man. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure for uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. I, um, it's funny, and I you were one of the few people. Some people like message back and they're immediately like, sure. And some people are like the why me kind of a thing. And I felt you were more in like the why me camp more so than the like, absolutely, I'm a rock star. Let me hop on here. It's the self-deprecating nature that I have. Like I'm definitely a uh, self-deprecating kind of person. So uh, I think we all want to think we're uh, super special and, uh, you know, the most important person in the world. you know, as I've grown, gotten older, fortunately, I've learned that that's not the case. I'm not. And uh, I like talking. I like meeting different people. And I like having good conversations. Uh, but, you know, and honestly, I look at the list of people who've been on and some of what they've done, their jobs or whatever. And I'm like, mm, I'm probably way below that, you know, but that's, you know, my own negative inner brain talking, you know, so. Yeah, it's, um. It is interesting. I like just thinking about when I approach people too. I'll, um, I had actually, it came up on my stories today. Are you familiar with the movie Juno? Yes. Right. Great movie. Like I forget the girl's name and I forget the guy's name, but he was in Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And like both of them are just fucking hilarious, dry panned, deliver humor, witty, the words. Um, so the set designer, I think that's what it was called. I was watching Juno. I'm like, fuck, who could I get on from this movie that probably has never really like spoken about this movie? And I got like the set designer of Juno, the dude who decided, I don't know if you remember when she tells 
him that she's pregnant and she like lays out the carpet in the yard and she's sitting in a recliner and she's smoking like a bubble pipe. She has a scarf on and he's about to go to cross country practice. And I'm like, who the fuck decided to do that? And the dude said yes. And I was like, holy shit, you're actually going to give me like two hours of your time. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. And it, it's weird because it's not like I think any less of your time to be like, well, he gave me two hours, so you should definitely. But we as people, I don't know if it's an American thing, definitely tend to like categorize or rate your value based on like accomplishments and like shit you've done. Like, oh, fuck, I can never be an Olympian. I can never be a gymnast, you know, and you're like, what? Some, what's the most difficult and coolest thing I've done? Um, I ran a 10K. <laughs> you, you know, and like, that's what we start doing to ourselves. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's, uh, it's a tough thing. And I think, um, you know, I know people who are, you know, I've, you know, my best friend works at the NSA. So I live in, I live in Maryland and I grew up uh, 20 minutes essentially from the NSA, at least in Maryland. I was born in California, but, uh, uh, and so he works for the NSA, um, high level security clearance, super smart dude works on really cool stuff. And there's plenty of times where I've been like, okay, um, you know, I'm a chef at a restaurant. Uh, I was a UPS driver for a while. Uh, I've owned my own personal chef business. Uh, these all sound neat or they're cool and they're fun jobs, but I'm also like, well, it's not that it's not you know, whatever K a year, I don't work in an office. I don't, have, you know what I mean? There's no yeah. big thrills about it. Uh, but what I've found over the years, I mean, one, I'm proud of the fact that I have really good work ethic like that. I value more than what job they have. Are they a good worker? Can they uh, lose their job today and be all right tomorrow? Like, can yeah. you go find another job and be humble enough to, uh, uh, you know, work at a Starbucks, which I did because I needed insurance. Uh, uh, but also I realized that a lot of these people with these jobs, they like other stuff that other people are done. They're like, Oh wow, that's so cool that you get to do that. Like it's because they didn't choose that path. And sometimes they feel confined by the path that they took, even though from my perspective or others, it looks more successful. So it's, it's all like relative is what I've learned. And I've learned to just be like, you know what, am I earning a living? Am I paying my bills? Am I being a good father? I have a daughter. Um, yeah. Can I get a job? Can I work hard? Ooh, taking a while though. To come to that realization or to be like For a sure. functioning oh, chef yeah. without a heavy drinking problem. Well, <laughs> you know, I've, I've had that. I've, I've had that. I've had a, you know, I grew up with my father who, you know, it was all about college. You know, he was in uh, like the Vietnam war. And then after that, he eventually started his own business, but he was, he worked at like a grocery store while he went to school at night and then eventually had a photography studio and eventually worked his way up and it was, you know, doing well at Citibank, you know, when he, uh, eventually later in his life. So he always harped on like college and, you know, so I didn't go to college. I went to culinary school in Rhode Island and, uh, I did way more partying than I needed to. I did way more drugs than I should have, you know, so and then you get to a point in your life and I'm 44 now and you're like, could I have done that or shouldn't I, you know, yeah. and at points throughout my life, I've done that been like, well, maybe I fucked up. And then I'm like, well, no, I can, I can work. I'm paying my bills. I've bought, you know, a couple different houses and you know, like I've always moved up. Okay. Well, what's there to complain about? 
Yeah, I'm almost at the spot now where I'm trying to decide between maybe extending myself a little bit and getting a third rental house. So I'm in Southern Delaware, Rehoboth, near Rehoboth Beach, but I live in Georgetown. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar. Uh, I've certainly been to Rehoboth Beach. The The closest I get to Delaware is my company has a, a branch in Del Mar. So, okay. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, other side of Sussex County. Um, okay. But like rents, and it's probably the same where you're at, like rents fucking insane. And I was fortunate enough to be in the home that I'm in. And it's such like old man, like, first time meeting somebody cooler talk type shit or cocktail talk. We're like, you know, my mortgage rate is, but <laughs> I locked in like a 2.3 mortgage rate. And so the fucking house payment's like 1200 bucks. And I'm like, I can rent it for 22. And then I'm like, man, maybe I go get a third house. That's my new primary. Now I got two rentals and I'm like, or I could just be really content and save money because I have like no money issues right now. And why am I trying to bring more in just to have an additional asset and like that move up mentality. It's yeah. nice to have ambition, but I'm almost like, do I want ambition now? I'm 41. So it's like, we're almost in like similar yeah. stages of our lives. And it's interesting it's totally. to just notice how people word things and how they set up their lives and they look back. And I don't know, like, well, I, like no, I was just gonna say like, cause you have a kid too. Like I would want my daughter, I preach to her to be ambitious and hardworking and try to be the best, but that shit can be stressful. <laughs> it could it, it could also just cause you to uh you end up some I shouldn't say some people end up going for the wrong thing right sometimes you end up that's what it's all about it's more 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 you know i lived in an area of of maryland near annapolis um and it's a wealthy it's a pretty affluent area uh, people go there for the schools i went to high school there uh i mean we didn't know this when i moved i moved to maryland uh at the beginning of eighth grade for me from um, Southern California. So a little bit outside of Malibu. So it couldn't have been any more, uh, you know, I was a like a skater kid in the eighties in Southern California and then coming to Maryland where they play lacrosse, which I was like, what are you doing running around with a stick in your hand? Like that's silly. Um, so it was, but it's, it's, it's a great place to, it, you get a great education there. It's a safe area. Um, but it is pretty affluent. Uh, and a lot of the kids I went to school with drove cars that I've never even been in. Uh, you know, <laughs> Scared to jobs. get in. Like, should I take my yeah. shoes off before I get in? <laughs> 100%. And so it was, you know, I eventually moved back there for a time with my ex-wife. And the idea of living that most people I saw, you, you tend to want more. It's the keeping up with the Joneses. It's really hard to ignore when it's all around. And I think ambition is great to build something, uh, but it's harder to be deliberate, I think, with why you want to build something or why you want to grow or what you're, what you're trying to accomplish, right? Like, do you want to build a business because you want your, uh, your restaurant to be the best it can be or your piece of software to be the best that it can be or do you want more because others have more and, you know, let's just add to the, to what I got and show it off. Pissing so it's, contest. It's a delicate, yeah, it's a delicate balance sometimes I think. Yeah. And you can, um, especially if you're meeting people and I don't know if it's like this for you. Cause I feel like the title of chef, um, 
comes with like a certain respect, especially after um, Anthony Bourdain and like Top Chef. There seemed to be this yeah. mid, like early 2000s renaissance of like, oh, they're not just like fry cookers. Like it's a legit intelligent profession where you're super skilled. But at some point too, like, so I'm a teacher and then I got hired as a reading specialist. And I, I don't have much of an ego, but there have been a couple times where I've want to, wanted to go back in the classroom and been like, then if people ask what I do, I'm just a teacher where I'm now a reading specialist. And it sounds so much better. And to be honest with you, teachers do way more than me and are way more yeah. important than me. But it's like that title, it, yeah. it like tings at me as like a pride thing. And I'm like, I, I don't like when it does that. And I constantly have to be like, dude, who gives a fuck about the title? It's like what people say about Sean, not so much reading specialist and allowing that to have like some door open for you. Funny you say that because uh, I was the UPS driver for a little over seven years, and that's that was one of the hardest things for me with that job. I mean, I was just a UPS driver. I was a driver. I was a delivery driver. Is is and I would refer to myself as that like disparagingly, uh, you know, because I felt I don't know less than. Um, I mean, little do you know, at least in my area where I worked, like right now, those guys make $42 an hour. I've heard they When I left, that. I made 35 an hour. That's incredibly good money to deliver a package. <laughs> now it's hard work. It's physical work. Yeah. But you're taking boxes off a truck and you're bringing them into a building. Like, at the end of the day, that's what you're doing. Uh, but I saw myself at times 100% as less than because that's what I was. Oh, I'm, I'm just a... UPS driver. Well, you know what? I love that fucking job. That job was fun as shit. Like it was like a video <laughs> game delivering the packages, and you know, it was like a a real version of Paperboy almost. You're not throwing shit at, at a house, yeah. you know, but you're if you know what you're doing and you know where you're going, and you can kind of see what's in the back of the truck because it's all loaded a certain way. Uh, in in the, the little computer you use, like it was like being able to see the matrix and and to know you did all that work, like it felt great. Like that's what I liked is you would have so much stuff on your truck. And at the end of the day, your truck's empty. Yeah. And you look and you're like, I did all that. I fucking like, did something. I accomplished something. Objective. Yeah, it's very man. tangible, you know, and it felt great. But the title, yeah, it bothered me sometimes. And I earned a living and I had a house and I lived in a nice neighborhood. And why, you know, and people that worked in offices probably would have liked to be out of the office like I was. So it was, it's, it's, I don't know how to teach somebody like my daughter not to think like that or to, you know, yeah. I guess what I would like to do. Well, yeah, because I was actually speaking to somebody the other day. Um, I don't think I've posted it yet, but she was talking about, and it's the, the weird like backward renaissance of like, can we help girls to understand it's awesome if you can be the stay-at-home mom? Like, that's not a shameful title to be like, I'm not employed. My husband makes the living for our family and I make the home from the money he brings in. Doesn't make me any less. And she's like, the fact that we're like, you have to go to college, like 40 years ago, 50 years ago, it was like, you have to be a housewife. And then you fought for this choice. And now it's almost like there was this era. I feel like a little more open-minded now, but like, girls have to go to college. Girls go get those like tough jobs. Like, well, what if I just want to be a preschool teacher? Like, why would that be any less respectable if you're a decent person helping your community? 
that's what I think is the most important. I don't think there's any focus on that anywhere. Um, are you contributing? Yeah. You know, I used yeah. to say this with, with my best friend, the, the guy, who his name's Todd, um, and I've known him ever since eighth grade. Like, we bonded over smoking cigarettes on a tree that fell down on a golf course in eighth grade, and I've, we've been best friends ever since and lived in the same neighborhood, like, multiple times. Um, when we would when I'd hear about maybe somebody that we went to high school with and they would be, Oh, he's a plumber. And I'd be like, ah, he's a plumber. Hey. And, and my buddy would be like, what? Like he's got a, that's a solid job. He earns a living. He's like contributing. And it took a couple times of situations like that before I was like, damn, you're, you're right. Like I'm just being a judgmental uh, dick about it. And they have a job if that takes care of their family and they're, paying taxes and they're not being a fuck up that's a pretty good start right there like i'll take more of those yeah help people like it's a grind i the hardest part of my life i do parking lot duty so like december through february i stand out we're like four miles from the beach so it's always extra windy right (laughs) and it's 15 degrees the fucking sun's not up and i'm just standing out there for 25 minutes just shivering and i'm like this sucks. I can't wait to get in the classroom. And then I think of like all the construction workers that I pass or the fucking roofers. Yeah. And I'm like, if somebody like, for some reason, I don't want kids who don't like reading books to think that it's terrible, that you have to like reading books to be good. And then also if you just were able to fix shit outside and deal with temperatures to provide and make money, you would be anything less than like me as a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard thing to, Maybe it's not a hard thing to explain to a kid. It's a hard thing for them to uh, really think of all the time and keep on the front burner as they grow old. And especially nowadays, as your daughter and my daughter, uh, she's uh, 10 right now, so she's got a little while. But social media, before you really start getting inundated with, you need to be this, you got to do this, you should look like this, you need to earn this. You know, I think it's easy to kind of teach them now, but uh, keeping that kind of on the front burner as like, yeah, I got to be mindful of this. That's, I think, the biggest challenge. Like, I don't, I'm not sure how that competes with a Snapchat, a TikTok, uh, you know, an influencer. You know what I mean? Like, that's a tough one because it is, those are all honorable jobs, you know, teacher. Fuck, I don't know why we don't pay teachers more. I have had great teachers in my past. I've had bad ones, but I don't think the bad ones were trying any less. You know, their personalities <laughs> just might not have worked out for it, or maybe they didn't like me, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, roofers, plumbers, all those things. Like, it's, uh, I love personally the blue collar trades. Like, I wish I got into the trades when I was younger. Like, yeah. I love working with my hands. I love hard physical work out in the yard. Because uh, if you can do all that stuff, everything else becomes easy. Like, if you can sit outside uh, in winter like you do, uh, if that's the hardest part of your day, that's a good day right there. Yeah, no you know doubt. I mean? <laughs> no doubt. Like that's, a, that's where I try to look at stuff like that is, like, you know, even my business now, like, I'm a... Uh, I work at a turf and irrigation supply company called Central Turf and Irrigation Supply. We sell fertilizer and 
grass seed and piping and sprinklers and wire for outdoor lighting and all sorts of stuff like that. So the people we sell to contractors, those are all guys that are out there digging holes in the ground, laying pipe, you know, mowing lawns, uh, you know, putting down ice melt in the winter, shoveling snow, putting mulch down. Those are all like jobs you would probably tell your kid, I don't want you to have, but those jobs all pay their living and their expenses and we need them. Uh, so it's, I like those things. Uh, I didn't when I was younger though. Yeah. No, it, I don't know if they were properly, I don't know if they were properly marketed. It's, it's That's almost, a good way to put it. It's almost marketed. like the fucking, like, we sit here and shit on the whole fucking two years of COVID and vaccines and masks. And you're like, was there, whoever was in charge of marketing for that would, should be complete. Like they need to go find a completely new field of, yeah. of work because they just kept, they couldn't get the message right to get buy-in. It was like every time they gave a message, it was never well received. And it was almost like immediately disproved. And then you're like, well, I'm not going to keep being okay with your messages. And now with kids and those kind of jobs, it's like, so you really want me to go and pay 40 grand for four years to come out and make 40 grand? Why wouldn't I like just go work right away and learn? And then in like four years, I like do my own business. Wouldn't that be smarter? And you're like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it would. And it would be smarter and more financially responsible. And I I don't know if that, I think it started to happen with the student debt that people are dealing with because they are like now telling their kids and you have aunts and uncles who can pass on their like personal experience. But like, I don't remember. And when I graduated 99, like, I don't remember anybody talking to me about student debt or giving me like, Hey man, go like learn how to work. Don't focus on college. I think I was the opposite in a certain sense, which is, which is funny. Uh, I don't remember any teachers pushing college on me. <laughs> and, I mean, I was definitely a, a big pothead and kind of like a burnout in high school. And so I think I was, uh, there's plenty of times where I think I was just, okay, we'll just let that one be. Like we got all these other people we should focus on. Um, I never met with a counselor while I was in high school about higher education or anything like that. Uh, so it's kind of funny. Um, but I always knew I could work and I liked doing different things. I mean, I worked all through high school, so it was like work was easy for me. You know what I mean? Like, so, uh, yeah, I didn't have an education, but like the work part became super easy. And I'm like, Oh, I mean, I made while I was in high school, I was making 1350 an hour at a local restaurant, you know, in 96, that's pretty good yeah. in 95, 96. That was good money for me. Like I made a lot of money. It was yeah. great. Uh, you know, the marketing of, of those types of jobs, blue collar jobs, the one who's helped that kind of thing the most is somebody like Mike Rowe. Yeah. Right. Who, you know, in dirty jobs. And that's like his whole platform right now is we need people in the trades. We need people who are willing to work with their hands. You who know, he does a produce... scholarship for people. Well, I'm sorry, but like who legitimately produce something like tangibles. We need tangibles. We don't need more fucking crypto, more NFTs, more like stock traders, more algorithms. It's like maybe we could actually make something of use. Yeah, we need people who make 
goods, ideally in this country, versus somebody who's making money off of other people in this country. Because that's not very, uh, I don't know if circular is the right word. Like it doesn't, it benefits somebody. It doesn't benefit many people. You know what I mean? It's almost like a dead end. It's like a dead uh, end for the money cycle. I, I'm sure like yeah. an economist, there, are, there's got to be a phrase for it where I always like picture the dollar. You spend a dollar at a local business and then that dollar gets passed on to a kid who works there who now has 50 cents and that 50 cents goes to the next business because yeah. he's taking his girlfriend out of it. And you're like, okay, that can see that trickle down or that trickling around. But then like these people who get paid and they just add costs to things people need, but they don't honestly like provide like they don't enhance it in any way there's no additional value like the people who when you buy a home man like it fucking sucks the closing costs addition the brokerage fee the filing you're like why is this house fifteen thousand extra dollars all of a sudden man yeah. like it's 400 for the septic and then i gotta file paperwork at the like at, at the county county court why, why is this eight thousand dollars for you to loan me money at five percent before i even yeah, yeah. borrow the money Everybody wants a piece of the piece of the pie. Yeah, man. Like the, I hate those. Like I, I, I just, I guess hate's a strong word, but I really do. Like it bothers me that I'm like, no, man. Like the the, actually, um, at the talk radio station I listened to going into work, there was a guy who had a lawn care company, has a lawn care company, but then he just opened his own shop to sell like his own version of the grass seed that he's been working in the area for twenty years and. He's wow. like, hey man, if you like are a contractor, now he's almost like trying to compete with like the Lowe's Garden Center of like, I can yeah, sell yeah. you this stuff, but I can get it at a cheaper rate because I don't have the infrastructure markups. But then if you're a DIYer, come on in, man. And like, I'll print off the reports of what grass seed you should want for the area because I've been doing the research for 20 years and you can do it yourself and I'll just sell it to you. And yeah. it's like, it. I love those people. And now I'm sure he's hired some people to um, help with the office. And it's like, that's what you need more of is those like actual jobs that do, not just like file paperwork. I don't know. Well, that's the other thing is I don't think, I, I think there's a, uh, a lack of desire for that kind of work. And that's another hard thing to overcome, right? Yeah. People like the idea of being, you know, there's a guy named um, Ramit Sethi, uh, Sethi, Sethi, um, and he's got. Uh, I think his podcast is like "I Will Teach You to Be Rich," and that's kind of a, a misnomer in a certain sense. But he teaches you how to be better with your money, is what he is. Okay. Uh, super smart guy. Worked in Sil- I believe he worked in Silicon Valley, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, super smart dude. And you know the the, the podcast the, the the idea with the podcast is where he's talking to couples about their money and where they're spending their money and, and how they're spending it. And, you know, he gets to know them personally in their story and, and that all kind of affects it. But one of the big things he harps against is money managers. You know, some of the people that are on there who have a good amount of money and are like, well, we have a money manager that manages our money for us. And he always harps on that as, you know, you're paying this guy however many percent to do essentially nothing. Like yeah. they're not, growing your money you can leave your money in certain kinds of stocks bonds this that and the other set it and forget it and save yourself the whatever percentage fee you're paying this person who's you know essentially just making money off of you having money yeah um 
but going back to the people working, there's a lack of desire, I think, of people to do hard work jobs, you know, to go out there and dig a ditch and put a sprinkler system in, to fix a car and get dirty and work in a, you know, really hot or a really cold garage, depending on the time of the year, or, uh, you know, pick a, pick a job. And I think the problem when I was younger and, and when you were younger, at least that I would see is you thought those people were uneducated, or at least I did. And I think that was the societal view. Oh, those are, those are people who couldn't go to college or, you know, lack of education, maybe not as smart as you. And that's one of the things that I think Mike Rowe showed did well, you know, dirty jobs was show those people as, uh, you know, these are hardworking Americans, uh, hardworking people who, uh, are just earning a living and oh by the way they're the ones making your your daily world go around yeah you know and they've got or like you go to college and you feel like you're educated man but sometimes you can't do shit i can't do anything with a car you know yeah. like even if i'm youtube video i don't even know if i could build a picnic table you know like cut wood straight man i still yeah. fuck up like screwing screws and you're like, how yeah. is this complicated? You see these, you zip, 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 zip. And yeah. I'm like de-threading things. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Oh, I'm educated. And you're like, nope, yeah. no, you're not. You're useless right now. Yeah. And you're like, it just, it is, it is a very interesting as you get older. And I guess when you get more life experiences, you just know how to value competence. And it's like, I don't know why competence isn't seen as educated. I guess it kind of is, but like as I'm, when I'm young, I'm kind of a punk and I'm looking down at competence because what you're not like certified. Sure. I'm actually trying to think back now. Cause it's, it's like, why was it like a weird arrogance? There know. was definitely a, uh, at least when I was younger and on my part, there was a, uh, those who knew certain things or who were smart in a certain way or capable or in, in a certain way, at least with the people that I knew and was friends with, uh, I don't know, for some reason we thought they were the losers or they were the <laughs> dumb ones or they were the ones that were wasting their time. I mean, this is while we're, you know, smoking blunts in a parking lot or, or you know, drinking while we were in high school or, you know, pick a pick a, a loser activity, you know what I mean, for a high schooler. Uh, so it's certainly ironic that we thought that. Yeah. But there was this, you know, looking down upon somebody who's really knowledgeable and really competent at a certain thing yeah. where – now, personally, I fucking love seeing somebody who's good at their job. Yeah. It could, I mean, uh, it was a week or two ago, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, my fiance and I went into a Lowe's and we were walking around looking for some stuff and couldn't, you know, couldn't find anybody to help us. And we did pass some other people that were very obviously not willing to help us, you know, doing something else. <laughs> but then we came to this one guy, I heard him like an aisle over helping somebody else and, and asking a couple of people if they needed help. And then we kind of turned the corner and, hey, what do you guys need? And oh, blah, blah, blah. Just so awesome at his job and so such a positive outpouring of customer service and a willingness to help. I was, we walked away and I was like, I fucking love that guy. I was like, that guy's awesome. I mean, he's, I can you know, my snobby hat, if I put it on, I could be like, oh, well, he just works at a Lowe's. Like, yeah. but the other side, the real side is, look at that guy. He's fucking, he's got a job. He's obviously really nice and he's fucking doing great at it. Yeah. I love seeing that kind of stuff. So now, like, competence in a job, I'm like, hell yeah, dude. Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, competence and caring, right? Like, oh my, you actually care. That's something I was stressing with kids the other day. Um, we're going over like test scores and just helping kids. Our state test is coming up and it's like, hey guys, remember you took this last year? Hey, here's whatever you scored last year. Here's where you rank. And like, here's where you fell in regards to average. And some kids are like, yeah, I didn't try on that. And I'm like, do you want to be the guy that has something attached to you and have no pride and just be like, I didn't try. And he was like, well, no, that's bad. And I'm like, yeah, man. Like, and it's cool that you're actually starting to realize that, that when things get done, they get attached to your name and you should just take pride in aspects of your life. Like in most aspects of your life, you should be like, when you're done, be like, yeah, stamp my name on that. I, that is a part of me. I produced that. I did that. I was a part of it. And yeah, that's me. And it, yeah. and it's interesting, especially with um, like eighth graders who are about 14, 15, it, they do seem to get it. And I, I don't know, like, I don't remember having those talks, not that they weren't had all through history, but they do seem to care. It might be a social media thing about like, the reputation and what gets attached to them. What's like the yeah. history, their resume almost now. They were like, oh, yeah. I don't want to score that low. You're like, yeah, well, all right. Maybe, maybe a little more effort. Maybe show up That's all the time. Maybe sleep the night before. It's like, yeah, I'm coming all week. Yeah. I, I, ain't getting, I ain't getting that low. And you're like, good for you. Good for you that you care. Yeah, there was, there was, I wish I had that when I was in uh, high school, that, that thought of those eighth graders. But there is something... I like that more than competence, which you said is the, the idea of caring. Yeah. Care about it. Own your little corner. You know, uh, I worked at, like I said, I worked at a Starbucks uh, during COVID because I had, I had taken a job, this job that I was trying to, um, I took a temporary job. I didn't have insurance through it and it eventually turned into what I have now. But uh, so I took a job at a Starbucks for extra money and for benefits because you could work 20 hours a week and get really good benefits through Starbucks. Oh, um, I, I actually love the job. I mean, one, it was similar enough to working in a restaurant. It's fast paced. Yeah. Uh, I love customer service. So I love talking to people. And uh, I mean, for me, it was easy because I was, you know, 43 at the time I was easily 20 years older than everybody there except for the manager so i was old enough to be everybody's dad uh so like talking to people was easy for me but i i i loved owning my little corner i loved if i was on the drive through at first i didn't like it uh i felt yeah you know there's a little pride hit and stuff like that like eh, i'm 44 or 43 working at a starbucks well there's a reason i am but uh I grew to love it and I grew to whatever I was doing. I wanted it to be, a, it's a reflection of me. It's a reflection of my work ethic. So I struggle working with people who don't have that same kind of uh, way about them because I don't want your poor work ethic to reflect on me. And also, I mean, honestly, I want people to have that same feeling like do good. I, I tell my, you know, where I, wherever I work, you know, even right now, I don't do good for my boss. I don't do good for my owners of my company. It's a family owned company. I do good for me. Like I do what I do and work as hard as I do because that's how I was taught. And I don't want to let myself down, you know? Uh, I think if more people kind of had that approach, uh, 
I don't want to say a lot of businesses would be better, but you'd have less yeah, shitty experiences sure. at businesses. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, it was intrinsic. It sounds like you have like a shit ton of intrinsic motivation, but I'm curious. Cause then if we go back to high school and I was very similar, like smoking with my boy, looking for any excuse to do anything but school and like yeah. to be inebriated as often as possible, because that's what cool people did, you okay. know? So where did the, was there like a switch moment or were you maybe channeling it in the wrong aspect, but it was always in you, like the intrinsic, like I'm going to be the best blunt roller there is. Yeah. <laughs> kind of vibe. I think uh, a lot of it probably came in with cooking. You know what I mean? I was raised to, my dad always worked hard. Um, you know, my dad always believed in hard work, taught me to work hard. Um, you know, he wanted me to go to college and stuff like that. And in high school, that definitely wasn't really my path. But also school came naturally to me. I don't like to say I'm smart. Like that bothers me. But I was good enough that I can fuck off three quarters and get a B, you know, by trying the last quarter and kind of, you know, not be a complete fuck up through high school grade wise. And so I kind of came out like, yeah, I didn't look that bad on paper is the point. So it wasn't like, oh, this guy's an obvious problem. No, nah, I mean, he, he's a problem. But once I started working in restaurants, and I started as a dishwasher when I was 15, I, I think I liked the fact that it's the ownership. I'm doing the work. This is all a reflection of me. I was a dishwasher. I fucking, I kicked ass as a dishwasher. You know, I wasn't sitting back there being like, oh, what was me? I'm cleaning people's food off a plate. Fuck now. I was crushing it. And I felt good. like that gave me esteem for the longest time. My work ethic was my was what was kind of in line with my self-esteem. I knew I could work really good. I knew I could be a good dishwasher. I eventually became a short order cook at that restaurant and eventually kind of ran the, the restaurant. It was a little neighborhood restaurant, so it's nothing crazy. Um, but when you're doing like 350 breakfasts on a Saturday and a Sunday and you're working 50 hours a week and going to school. Yeah. I kind of, I felt pretty important and that all came from me. So, it, you know, I think that having that ability to control the situation, yeah. you know, it's not a test. It's not a, a book report. It's not something that's, I want to say out of my control, but obviously those are in my control. Like I could have done them or studied for them, but it was different. It was tangible and physical. And once I realized I was good at it, I was like, Oh fuck, I could do this. Like game on. Did you ever consider dropping out of high school or how, how like seriously did you consider how close did you come to? I didn't. I mean, my dad would have, <laughs> my dad probably would have beat me. I mean, my dad was, my dad was very, uh, he was very verbally abusive, uh, is what you probably would have called it then. Uh, they probably would, they would probably attach a lot more labels to it now, but like the idea of ever doing that never even crossed my mind. Uh, but I just didn't pay attention. I was just, you know, not, uh, I did, it didn't concern me. Like I didn't want to, I love learning now. That's like, I love podcasts. I love audiobooks. I love nonfiction books. Right. Um, I, I love, I like to learn. I didn't when I was younger and 
there was nothing there that really interested me. Um, and I didn't have enough teachers, I'll say, to, you know, to really spur me on and kind of drag me, uh, you know, through the mud and, and get me to, you know, see certain things. It just didn't work that way for me then. Um, and I'm, I, you know, nothing to people who drop out. Plenty uh, are super successful and a lot obviously aren't. But I don't think my dad would have wanted he That would have been a hill I would not want to try to go up. There's no way. <laughs> I'm 6'4", and my dad was 6'2", but he was probably like 250, where I'm, you know, back then I was probably more like a buck 50, a buck 60. So it would have been a unpleasant thing for me. <laughs> yeah, there, um, I, I don't know. I, um, I, my dad wound up leaving when I was 11. I never saw him. But my mom would have some boyfriends. I never really respected him until like you'd go out and play basketball and you'd feel the quote unquote grown man strength, yeah. you know? And like, even, even if you're larger as a kid, there is something about whatever core strength when you're 30, 40. And then especially as a kid who's been fucking like tossed around by your dad since whatever you're two, like the dude can yeah. literally pick you up, throw you in the air. You can spin and he catches you. I think on some level that stays with you. So now when you're bigger than him, it's like, damn, do I really believe that I'm stronger than this guy who's just like dominated life my whole life? Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it can be nope. a scary vibe. Yeah. Right. Nope. <laughs> no. I mean, I can remember one. I don't even know the, I'm not even sure what really happened. There was one time where I came out of my room in high school and I don't know if I was going to leave to go someplace and, and he was kind of blocking me in the hall. But it was essentially I would have had to fight him to get past him. And I remember just being like, I might be able to, but I don't think I want to try like that. This could go bad. And my dad wasn't like Mr. Fighter or anything yeah. like that. But I, it was just his anger probably more than anything that that intimidated me. But I was like, it's right, cool. I'll, I'll go back to my room. I'm like, not, not, we're not doing this. Um and I respected my dad for sure. I respected him, you know, and I respected what he was trying to teach me and, you know, what he wanted for me. And I know why he wanted that for me because he had to go to night school and he had to work so hard. And, you know, he wants what every parent wants, right? You want your kid to have a, a better life than you had. You want them to have make uh, the, the, the right choice where maybe you made the wrong choice or an alternate one. Um, it just took a lot. It took a lot longer. I mean, I did good in culinary school and I was a chef for a number of years and worked in, you know, some nice restaurants and some not nice, but, you know, it was all the same in the end, you know, essentially like I landed on my feet and was able to do well for myself. So I kind of, I wish I was more studious in high school. I wish I liked it then. I wish I had a different attitude, but, uh, you know, Anywhere I am right now with what I have and how my life is, nah, I'm, you know, I'm grateful for all the choices that I made. I wouldn't be here otherwise. So how, um, like going to food, I don't even know if this is like a real question, but <laughs> did you start like associating or wanting to do a certain type of like style or food or was it cook? Like, were you trying to go fine dining? Was it an Italian thing? Did you just want to have like, bar food, upscale, reasonable. It's not like, a, a, I don't know, like diner style where I just got everything. 
Like, did you have certain skills, pastries? Were you a pastry man? Like what? Yeah, I think it's, I, I mean, I got into it from my mom. I, I mean, my mom was the housewife. You know what I mean? Like my mom, when did she have me? She had me in uh, 34 and 36 for me and my sister. So okay. um, back then, uh, 76 and 78 late in life yeah that's you know what i mean yeah, for sure a, late in life back then yeah. probably even now to some degree right um and she always cooked she was a, a housewife she cooked my grandma was uh like i said i grew up in southern california but my grandma was born and raised in kentucky so she was like very southern even though we lived in california um and she always cooked everything from scratch had a massive garden in her backyard you know tomatoes, green beans, uh, everything, all sorts of shit I didn't eat back then. <laughs> um, You're like, this is yeah. disgusting. And now it would be like $14 a pound in organic or uh, something. I would, I would kill to have her guard now, you know, and, and, and how it was and everything. But it's just seeing my mom cook and getting into cooking shows. Um, really once I moved to Maryland in 1991, so I moved here at the beginning of eighth grade. And so it's a lot of, because I didn't know anybody at the beginning because I, you know, certainly didn't fit in and it, I was way not socially outgoing at all. I was very shy. Um, so I gravitated towards cooking shows and eventually I, I took a job as a dishwasher and eventually you see somebody making salads and you're like, well, all right, I'm kind of tired of washing dishes. I could do this whole salad thing. And so you start making salad and then you look at the cook and you're like, you know, it was a, like I said, it was a local restaurant, but they did a lot of breakfast and like simple diner, um, simple dinners and stuff. So you had a flat top that you're cooking eggs on and a little grill and, and a couple pastas, nothing crazy. But I, you know, I'd watch them and I'd be like, okay, I could do that. And if you're, if you're coordinated, you know what I mean? Like you can saute really well and flip crap in a pan. And if you have a good touch, you know, flipping eggs. I played ice hockey when I was younger. Uh, oh, so yeah. I think my hands were, you know, like I understood, you know, certain movements, maybe flipping eggs, flipping a pan, again, touch and like how hard you're going to flip something or catch it. So the, like the mechanics of cooking all came easy to me. Uh, and then over time, it was just, you know, okay, like I've worked at this restaurant. Let me go work at a better restaurant. Um, and let me work at, uh, you know, oh, my sister works at this place. Let me go work here. Then, all right, well, I went to culinary school because people I worked with got paid more than I did because they had a degree. And I'm like, how do I get more money? Oh, yeah. you go to culinary school. Okay. Let me go to Johnson & Wales in Rhode Island and, you know, I feel go to like, culinary school. I feel like that has a rep, right? Like that's... It's a great culinary school. It's one of the best like in the I've country for sure. Okay. Um, I mean, back then it was either the... Culinary Institute of America, which is in New York. Okay. Or Johnson & Wales, which I think at that time, I don't know if they only had the Rhode Island campus. Um, but they also, I think before the CIA, they offered business degrees. So they did like uh, restaurant, hotel management, hospitality degrees. So there was a lot more than just culinary, where I believe oh, at the yeah. beginning, the CIA was culinary focused. So you, you end up with a lot of like culinary killers coming out of the CIA, but you put more people into the industry coming out of Johnson and Wales. Gotcha. And so my sister did the business. She did culinary, like hospitality. And then I did 
the culinary. And again, it's just working in like, okay, let me get a job at the Cheesecake Factory because I need a job while I'm in school. And okay, next thing you know, you're opening a couple of Cheesecake Factories for them in different states. And No shit, you, you know, actually did like, that? You were like the chef in charge of opening the Cheesecake well, Factory? Well, it's, it's certainly not the chef in charge, but on the team because they have such a massive team. Yeah. But, you know, like, uh, where did I go first? Chicago, I think. I went to Chicago first. So they fly you out there for a month. And, you know, I worked... I think it was like the grill station. Okay, so you're in charge of the grill station. We have these uh, 10 people that you need to train over this month to be able to work this station. So that's teaching them recipes, showing them exactly how to make it, getting them used to doing all that work themselves. And then as the restaurant opens, you know, being there with them and cooking with them and getting accustomed to it. And then eventually the opening team pulls out and it's just, you know, they're left on their own. Um, but even just doing that is a huge freaking deal because there's so much to learn. There's so much to do. And, you know, they put you up in a hotel for a month and you're out there with other people, you know, and some people you don't know, and Oh, by the way, it's a restaurant industry. So you're still doing a lot of that same stuff. So, I mean, it was, it was a, it was an awesome experience and it really got you used to the pressures that you're going to face later as a chef. Did you, you know, that's really what it did. Did you apply for the opportunity or people came and sought you out? Like, how did that, cause if you're still, were you still in school or is this graduated from Johnson and Wales? Um, I might've been graduated. I think I graduated by then because I did a very abbreviated, uh, degree at Johnson and Wales. Like I had, I already had a, um, an associate's degree, uh, that I already got in Maryland. So by the time I went there, I didn't have to take any of my basic courses. I was able to take a, uh, a test and test out of a lot of culinary courses because I had been cooking for like five years by that point. Uh, okay. So you're uh, and then older. I just took an advanced program. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but so then you're older because I was picturing you as like straight out of high school, eighteen, going to yeah. Johnson and Wales. But you're no, you're... I took I took a <laughs> I just the old uh, <laughs> four year, two year degree. Uh, for my associate's degree, you know, it took four years to get it because I worked. I mean, once I left high school, I basically paid for my livelihood. You know what I mean? Yeah, my parents, you know, I live with my parents and, uh, you know, they had food and stuff like that. But anything else I did, you know, uh, any money I needed, like I was huge into the band Fish at the time. I mean, still am. I love them. Um, I paid for everything and I would, you know, so I always worked is my point. I always, you know, from high school on at least 40 hours a week, I always worked. So it took me so long to get a, a degree, but God. I worked at, you know, three different restaurants at that time and got a shit ton of experience. So by the time I did go to JW, yeah, I was more advanced than most of the people. I had way more experience than I think everybody in my class, like physical experience. Yeah. And I just did an advanced program and, you know, I went one summer and uh, essentially one year, you know, a summer and then the whole fall, winter, spring. And that was my Johnson Wales experience because I already had an associate to test it out of some and took an advanced program, you know. So um, by the time I did the thing at Cheesecake Factory, I had just been working there for, you know, so long. Uh, that usually they look for who's 
who's the best on whatever stations that they're going to need to have people trained. And then, yeah, you do interview for it. Um, and then they select who they do. And that's kind of that. That I don't know, man. You talk about like status, like that's some like, back then honestly, it was, it was like status for sure. Rock star <laughs> shit to be like, we're the badasses that are the fucking franchise. Like I am the cheesecake factory, bitch. Like that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. It felt that way because that job, I mean, it's it's one of those weird things. If you've ever been there, like their menu is gigantic. I've heard. The the stuff you need to know to work on any given station is a shit ton. The volume that they do is bananas. So like if you can hold your own there and if you can work, you know, multiple stations there, you know, they give you pins and shit for all the different crap, you know, you know, your flair and everything. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it fucking it, it did feel good, and it's it's one of those things where you want to feel competent, and especially if you're working with a bunch of dudes, you start getting that competition thing going, yeah. you start getting that ego going, like oh, I can fucking I can handle this, you know, like you get crushed on a Friday night, and you know what are you doing? You're bragging about how busy you were. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. You're not complaining about how never busy we you were. You're like two hundred and fifty plates. Hate. Yeah, yeah, records tonight, That's, bitch. That's the status. So yeah, totally going and opening one. You felt, you know, you're like, dude, that was hard. But you know what? We crushed it. Like it was, uh, I think it's one of those things you would never think about. I never thought about, but those places need people to open them. Those places need people to train them. And you just got Joe Blow who's cooking the grill and, you know, pick a state and, you know, fly them across the country and have them teach people. So it's pretty cool. It gave you an opportunity to to learn a lot, to see a bigger picture, and to quasi manage. Yeah, and I, I I'm thinking now. So I it's funny. I left a family owned restaurant. I grew up working restaurants and um, left it a fucking fine dining place as a busser to go be a salad boy when Ruby Tuesdays was opening because I thought that was a fucking step up. Jesus, <laughs> it's my first corporate job, but I remember the people coming in and like. I had to have a test on how I would lay kale out on a salad bar. <laughs> and I was like, this is my new life. Like they care yeah. how many pieces of kale and in what direction and the orientation. Yep. Are you like, why dude, I'm, I'm 17. Get out of here. You dork. But now when yeah. you get older, you're like, no, but dude, that's how you have a franchise. That's how you have a standard that people totally. pay for. And yeah, it's, that's dollars and cents. That's uniformity. That means I can go from one state to another and I know what to expect. And, you know, learning that is, was, was a great, it was a, it was a great teaching environment. You know, I didn't always think of it then, but later in life, you know, working as a chef in DC at like a kind of a neighborhood bistro, like an upscale neighborhood bistro, um, you know, you, you're doing those things almost automatically yeah. because it was just ingrained in you. So it became, you know, way more valuable down the road that at the time I certainly didn't see it as like, Oh, this is going to help me. Like, yeah, this is going to be a great foundation. Now, eventually you're just like, well, I already know this kind of stuff. Or like, if you get busy, you're like, eh, this is nothing. Like go, go work a Friday night at Cheesecake Factory and you'll see busy. Yeah. You know, so it's, it was a, it was a really good foundation, even though cuisine wise, nobody's, you know, you're not putting that on your, your resume to 
apply at like the best restaurant in town. You know what I mean? That's not going to work that way. So it's a grunt work. It's cool. It's fun for sure. Yeah, I'm curious if the um, I I think it would be awesome to kind of have a job and to travel without like the responsibility of a family and like to stay the idea of staying in Chicago with some money in my pocket, not having to worry about rent. Um, I, I feel like that would be a really, really neat, um, life experience and it would just shape me to experience living in different places. Was that part of the appeal for you? The fact that you got to live there or was it a little more just the ego of opening? I think it was the experience. It was the, uh, idea of, you know, maybe being chosen and being, again, being competent, being good enough and wanting to, to do more for sure. Uh, I wish I was thinking more like that when I was younger, like what you're describing. Like when I think about my time in Chicago, uh, so I was there a month and they put you in at like a, um, at least there, it was an extended stay. So you got like a little kitchenette, um, I don't even remember. I think I had a roommate. One of the other people on the opening team. Like, I know we went out a few times in Chicago, but like, I was not young and adventurous. I was not, let me go explore the city and let me see what's out there. Um, You know, and even I did one in Milwaukee too, same thing. Um, Even that one, like there's times where I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know if this like, plenty of boozing and substance abuse to where my brain just doesn't remember it. Uh, it was nothing... awesome in the moment, but it was just a bunch of shift drinks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's certainly possible. I mean, you know, it's funny, you know, the one thing, literally the one thing that stands out to me about Chicago is when I left there, it's so random. It, that was when, at least in my memory, that's when it should have been Chicago. It could have been the uh, Milwaukee one, but either way, uh green day's album saint jimmy came out and i remember buying it and i love punk rock music um i remember buying it and listening to it probably the whole way through a couple different times on the airplane on the way home like that's the biggest memory that stands out uh from that which is so bizarre has nothing to do with food i mean i love music and i love punk rock uh but it's, it's so weird how your memory is super selective like that. Like I can remember being on the airplane and putting on the CD and just being like, oh shit, yeah, like, this is good. It's so random, but Dude. that's, you know, it's the way the brain works sometimes, I guess. So I had, it is funny. So I was also, I'm, I was in National Guard and what my job was, was to put nice. up antennas in like for pretend, even though we all had cell phones, for some reason we're still jacking up fucking 80 foot antennas and like strength <laughs> of signal. I guess it's a security thing, right? So I had overnight shift and basically you sat there and you had to make sure the button was green. And if the button isn't green and it doesn't get green, are you brave enough to go wake up the angry motherfucker that's going to be upset that he has to figure out why the button's not green? Right. Like it's just such a dumb act. Like you look back and you're like, there wasn't an alarm for that. That could have been whatever. Yeah. But the point of the story, Eminem's curtain call came out and I can recall just sitting there and fucking looping every single song and like looking at the album cover and just connecting 
on like some sort of spiritual level with this music. And it's one of the like weirder, but more like vivid memories that I have of that time. And I have no idea why you're like, why do I remember sitting in a fucking box at like three in the morning and just like pretending to fucking like rap with Eminem? (laughs) Nothing better. I don't yeah, the brain's weird like that, right? It you is. know what I mean? It's um you know, it obviously I would imagine it obviously connected with you on some Yeah, uh, at that moment in life or something, it's something you needed. Yeah, I wanna say visceral level. I don't know, you know what I mean? It's uh uh it's a it's a weird one. I mean I wish when I think of the you know, traveling and and opening the restaurants, I wish I was um, you know, more aware at the time and more looking to experience the city and and check stuff out but even then i was still very um introverted i mean i always say like i until i worked at ups i was a very introverted person like i would describe myself even now i would probably want to describe myself as shy but people you know the the shake their head and look at me were like no you're not like a shy person and i'm not but for so many years that's how i was and that's how i would always see myself um that during that time if anything i'll bet you i stayed in my hotel room a lot and watched tv when i wasn't working or listened to music I, you know what i mean like it's I, I think i was just not not as outgoing and i wish i took advantage of it um just to experience stuff. Cause now I'm like, Oh God, I wish I could travel someplace and not have to worry about, uh, paying my mortgage back home, not have to worry about leaving my daughter, not have to worry about leaving my fiance or my house or any, you know what I mean? Like, Even uh, cleaning, I wish I could dude. you had more. housekeeping, you had housekeeping for a month. <laughs> I know. Think about that. Totally. Shit. Everything. They didn't give you a car. That's one thing you didn't get. You didn't get a car. Now, a group of you would have a car. So then you need group consensus to go do shit. Well, wow. you know, that's going to revolve around, is there a hot chick? Is she able to sway people? What is, what is the coolest guy wanted to, you know what I mean? Like then you get like factions making decisions. So it was like easier to just be like, yeah, I'm going to do nothing. What was the transition like from corporate to non-corporate when you went to like the Beaster or something? Was that any sort of shock to the system? Uh, you just get more, uh, for me, it was like, I left, I worked at the cheesecake factory. I eventually transferred down to Maryland, um, when, uh, my dad ended up passing away. And so then it was like, okay, let me use this restaurant to transfer down home so I can come home with a job and not really have to worry about anything. And then uh, one of my best friends at the time was working at this restaurant in D.C. and was just kind of like, hey, I need a, you know, I need another sous chef with me. Um, that's what he was, a sous chef. So he was like the second in command, second in line. Right. Uh, he was, and then I came on board. And so he was the executive sous chef. So he was above me. I was below him. Uh, but it was just, it's like taking the reins off, honestly. You don't have Big Brother there. It was a small privately owned bistro uh and this is where you can really get fucked up in the restaurant business (laughs) because the owner was an alcoholic uh a lot of the people that worked there were alcoholics you can have shift drinks 
you know during you, the shift not even after yeah it, well it was like the last half hour it was like okay to go get your shift drink but the shift drink was like a pitcher an eight percent beer and a shot you know what i mean and then oh by the way you can just ask the bartender and you're probably gonna get another one and you know before you know it you've had four or five drinks and you live 45 minutes away not yeah. ideal um God. but it was it was just more free reign is really what it was it was super small uh, I don't even know how many it seated. Um, you know, a buck fifty, maybe, probably less than that. Uh, and so it was a lot more decision making, um, a lot more artistic. You know, where corporate, you're, you know, you're fo- you're focused on the vision, you're focused on the spec. You know, the specs of the the, the recipe. Uh, where this was more, certainly more artistic. Like, hey, we can order this. Um, fresh fish in overnight from Hawaii, uh, what would be the best preparation to go with it? Like, how could, how could we make this fish really stand out? Um, and it was, it was simple. That was the other thing. Like we didn't fucking do a lot. We didn't put a lot of ingredients in, into a dish. We didn't put a lot of stuff on the plate. You know, it was for there, at least it was really just, that was the first place I learned to like use good shit and don't fuck with it. Like if you have really good, fish or uh, really good vegetables just treat them right and present it with you know complimentary things um and just let the food kind of do the talking is like i don't know snobby as that can sound or or uppity i don't know um so it was just way more lax that's usually the biggest thing is just you're not meeting that standard you can breathe i can play my punk rock music in the kitchen right you know what i mean to me, that was the best. I um, So I went from front of the house to back of the house because I threatened to quit. Um, I got a better busing job and I parlayed it into- <laughs> I love that. A yeah, better busing job. A better busing job. And I was <laughs> like, dude, I'm out. And they were like, well, we'd really like to keep you. And I'm like, well, I'll give you three days a week, but you got to make me a cook. And they were like, do you have cooking experience? It's like, ah, I've been watching the guys for a couple of years. I'll figure it out. I'm like, put me on breakfast. So I'm there at like 6 a.m. opening this kitchen as a 19-year-old with fucking keys. And like I'm completely irresponsible. But the one thing I'm responsible as is like I always show up. Yeah. So no one of importance got there till like 7.30. So dude, like the fucking – you have like filleting eggs every morning just because. And you're like, why the – who's saying No inventory they're not picking it up on inventory there's no like real report that's catching me on this shit you're having like slices of 14 dollar a slice cake after your filet and eggs and it's like this is how i'm living large man this is how i'm living large yeah and like but it was a small family business and it was amazing it was so amazing because there wasn't that stress of like it sounds weird but like of a standard I could just yeah. make fucking Mickey Mouse pancakes because that's what I felt like making at the moment. And I had zero qualms about the diameter and brownness and thickness. <laughs> it was like, nope, Sean's on the grill today. That's what happens. Yeah. yeah, I like that kind of a thing. I like the, I think there's a place for, for standards and, and specs. And then I think there's a place, you know, as long as the place is functioning, you can allow it to be looser and, um, you know, everybody, I don't want to say everybody, a lot of people in restaurants, you're going to eat food. You're going to uh, 
eat a burger here or a piece of cake there in your case, or, you know, steak and eggs or whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, Without having somebody breathe down your throat, a lot of the times the overall environment in those places is going to be way more full of a lot more camaraderie. You know what I mean? You kind of become something like Anthony Bourdain would describe, you know what I mean? Where you're like a, a funky pirate crew, especially back then. Dude, you barter. It's all about bartering. Like you want a pitcher of whatever for your boys, make sure that someone fucks up an order on purpose and then it goes to the bartender. Yeah. You're like, oh shit, didn't mean to ring in that shrimp scampi. My fault. You're like, what do we do with it? It's made. You get the manager to void it off and it's not like you throw it away. Maybe give it to the dishwasher if they're having a rough night, or maybe you give it to the waitress that you're trying to lay, or maybe you give it to the bartender if you feel like getting drinks for your boys so that they'll hook you up with something later on. Like it's the weirdest bartering economy in the world. Well, maybe I shouldn't yeah. say in the world, but it's a super interesting, it's its own economy. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, it, I, and, I, and part of me wonders if they operate like that still. Like I, I see that as... A fun thing i see that as innocent um i could look at it now if i was owning the restaurant dude, dude. Be like, Come on, dude, that's the ceiling what are you doing that's no, that's pilfering that's pick a you know i had to get out happening. i went to business management and i was like fuck dude i'm gonna have to fire everyone who i'm cool with if i run this place it's, yeah like it, it's almost unsustainable when you start fucking with the profits and it's a weird balancing act because you need those people on the dopamine and you need kind of like twisted people in that way to live that lifestyle. Cause it's off yeah. centered from what the world functions at as, as a nine to five. And I think, you know, this goes back to what you said at the beginning, uh, with like Bourdain and top chef Bourdain was somebody who certainly romanticized like the fucked up part that we're describing, yeah. you know, like ship drinks and, you know, uh, laying waitresses and, you know, shit talking with the people you're working with. And, you know, at least in my case, wanting to play loud music while I worked and, you know, just let me have my loud music and I'm going to be a happy camper. And being an asshole. I'm going to, yeah. Uh, But I'm chef. I feel like that was the one that turned it into more of a, of an art and more of a, uh, high-end career you know what i mean it's like street art versus museum art kind of a deal yeah. like it turned into more museum art pc uh the, i think the the view of the profession did uh and that's not a bad thing but it makes me wonder if some of those other uh fucked up aspects you know were kind of weeded out of of that industry you know and even now i mean now cell phones and everything else you can't be doing half the stuff people did back then because your buddy's going to be trying to snapchat it or put it on tiktok or instagram or whatever and you know boss is going to be like "Hmm, what's up with this you know yeah and even like the tracking and inventory sophistication and proportioning it would be so much easier to figure out like I, I don't know, we used to get all our shit from cisco and you would imagine i would hope at some point now there's like Hey, you ordered four cases of this. Your goal is to use it. Your or your idea of using these four 40 pounds of steak should yield at this price this much profit. Boom. Yeah. 
done. And that's the expectation. And then what you do is you track it and it should be way simpler now than it was late mid nineties, late nineties, even the two thousands. Like we were impressed when we had a computer system, like a macro that you were able to like type up orders and print it. And like, you can even rely on the fucking thing. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's gotta be way more sophisticated now. Um, and I guess it also depends on how you're doing it. You know what I mean? Like there's so many different ways, you know, cheesecake factory, because it was so standardized, uh, they did everything based on like a yield. So like all their recipes are in the computer, every quantity of every ingredient is in the computer and attached to the various, uh, recipes and dishes that they went to. So like a 50 pound bag of flour, you know, when you're ordering this, this recipe or, or, you know, you're making this, you're ordering that, whatever, all that's calculating how much flour is used for all those things. So they use, you know, this 50 pounds should yield you X amount. So you would either be kind of under by a certain percentage or you're over, you know, if you're using 120% of uh, of flour, okay, well, you're using a lot more than you should. If you're using less then where are you skimping? Why aren't you making the recipe right? Uh, They had a really unique way of doing it because it was so standardized where a lot of places, you know, it's really about, um, I don't even know if they do it in terms of what it should get you, but it's, uh, you know, what did you get in? What's on hand? Uh, right. dollars and cents. But, you know, for your small places, that's where you, it gets you, like a mom and pop place or something like that. And, you know, I don't know. I don't, I think there's a time and I, I think there's a time and a place to be super strict on it. And, 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 and also understanding that, you know, I don't know, again, I, I want to be able to eat some fries every now and then I want the people working back there. I don't want to be harping on everybody for every little thing and nickel and diming and you drop the fry. And I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, as long as no one's outright stealing from you and as long as your restaurant's successful and, you know, you're treating your employees right. You know, I, I kind of want to say, give me a break. You know what I mean? <laughs> Did you ever actually own a restaurant? Nope. No. I. You know what's funny is as much as I like to cook and as, as long as I did it, I had no desire when I was younger, like zero. Oh. And now, like I live in a, a very small town, um, probably 20 minutes south of Gettysburg in Maryland, um, just surrounded by farmland, uh, not much else. I don't know how many people live in this town. It's a fucking small town. Uh, and it doesn't have, it's got like a Mexican restaurant, of course, because what town doesn't have a Mexican restaurant, but that's like it. That's like, it's only, I think there might be an actual pizza hut, which is crazy. Um, but it's got like no real restaurants. It's got, uh, nothing, you know, it's got a sheet gas station. It's got two gas stations, a CVS, a grocery store and a liquor store. And that's like, for the most part, it, uh, I would open something now. Like I would love to have like a uh, a bagel place or something like that, something where you did breakfast to like three o'clock, uh, you know, uh, breakfast and lunch, and just do it till three o'clock, kind of a deal. So you get good restaurant hours, so you're not working all late and every weekend night and all that shit. But then it's also stuff that I like to eat, 
it's quick, it's low cost. Uh, you know, people gravitate towards a solid place where they can get something like a bagel or a bagel sandwich or, you know, great coffee and a pastry, you know, things like that. So I had no desire when I was younger. Now I'm like, Ooh, if I did it, that's what I would do. Partially because I like that style, but also because they tend to do well financially if you run them right and if your shit's good, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, you sound super learned. That's why I'm surprised. Like, I've only done, that's all I've done for the most part. You know what I mean? Like that was my life forever was cooking and working in restaurants. And again, I did have a personal chef business for a couple of years, you know, where I would, I still do it now as like a, a side job. You know, uh, you want to have a dinner party for 10 people come over. Okay, cool. I'll design a menu for you. I'll shop, I'll prep, I'll show up at your house, you know, and all my stuff will be prepped like in a restaurant and I'll cook and I'll serve you and I'll clean your kitchen up like I was never there. I love that. That was fun too. So the, some of the business aspect of it, yeah, I'm pretty good. And I think I have a good understanding of what works or what could work, but you know, running one and you know uh top to bottom different story so is like is the what's stopping you from doing the bagel shop uh i don't know i've never done anything like that uh i've never i want to say i've never started a business i mean my chef one would be a business but again (laughs) in like this self-deprecating manner i could i could put it down and be like oh well it's really not that much Uh, i mean if i put my all into it i think I think like anything else and like a lot of people, like my chef business, I don't think I put my all into it because I was scared of saying this, this is what I'm doing. It's easier if you don't try completely and then maybe it doesn't work out. You can, you know, have that bullshit excuse of, well, I didn't really try. That's not what I was really going for, Uh, you know, versus going all in and being like, yeah, I'm going to do this. That kind of person I've never been. That kind of conviction with people and determination I admire a lot. And I don't, I've never had that muscle that I know of. So it's, there's fear, you know, that's probably the easiest way to put it is I would be scared of failing or looking like I don't know what I'm doing, which is a shitty reason, obviously, to not do something. You know, it's just failure is the, uh, one of the greatest teaching, uh, mechanisms, if I could say it like that. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure it is, man. That's bagels. You're going to fail at bagels. I don't (laughs) think so. Right. Like the bagels are going to get made for people though. You know, you got to have them right. You got to make them right. You got to, you got to, you know, people who like, you know, I don't know. I think it's, uh, for me, I look and I say that kind of thing could be successful where we live. Uh, because it doesn't have it or, or even just a good breakfast shop. Like I want, but I also want it to be something I would want to do. Um, pizza. I mean, we had a a local pizza restaurant that's been here for, I don't know how many years, 15 years, 20 years that just closed because the guy was kind of like, yeah, I've been doing this long enough. I don't want to do it anymore. And I'm like, why would you stop? Like that place is a gold mine. Well, I don't, I don't know his full reasoning, but I also look at stuff like that and I'm like, man, yeah, you make a good pizza, people will come, you know? 
uh, it's just failure. It's just, it's the fear. It's the, the fear of starting something like that. Right. Like I've never built a business. Um, I also, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a fear. Yeah. I have such admiration for people that can start something from scratch with uncertainty of future outcomes. Like it's like, do you, and and it's not, for me, it's not more about like the fact that you did fail for me personally, it would be like investing all of that and not working out and then feeling like, fuck, that was a waste of time. Yeah. I could see that too. Um, I don't know. Or like, shit, now I've got 70 grand worth of debt (laughs) and a halfway good bagel recipe. You know, yeah. like I know how to make 10 different pizzas and I have 40 bar stools I got to liquidate. What am I going to do with yeah. this? You know, the hard thing is, especially in that business, it could fail for no fault of your own. You know what I mean? It could fail for so many reasons. Now, one one could certainly say you didn't do your research. You didn't understand uh, your local market. Uh, you didn't understand the... Uh, desire or need for what you're offering your recipe wasn't good your price point wasn't right all that could certainly be an issue or it, it could just be covid you know <laughs> yeah fuck dude that, that murdered a lot of businesses like i don't yeah i mean imagine imagine i had this conversation with you uh three four years ago january and, I, and then i'm like you know what you know, yeah, I'm going to do that. And if fucking, you know, you get all your loans together and shit, you find a place that's finally just right. You, you buy used equipment because that's what you're going to have to do at the beginning unless you want more debt. And then all of a sudden that shit hits and they're like, yeah, no, no one's eating uh, out. Like, that's not a thing anymore. You're like, what? what? This is my livelihood and I'm trying to get going here. Or, you know, this is what I love to do. Um, you know, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, I don't know. That would, uh, I feel for those people because that's that's some shit right there. You didn't do anything wrong and all the hard work you put into it, you know, boom. It, it, it's, un, it's unfathomable to think of when you make it with real people. You know, it's it's almost like yeah. mass, mass, mass shootings. You're like, that's yep. fucked up. But if you know someone who experienced, like I can't imagine the families in Nashville when their children came out. Like if that was me, like I, I I'm a teacher. I, I've been yeah. hearing about it. I, we, I go through trainings and drills mentally. I think of these things. I'll hear footsteps during lockdown and I'll run towards, and I'm like, fuck dude, that like, I, I would be shot if that was a killer. Really. It's just the custodian, yeah. you know, but like I, it doesn't, it, it's a news story. It's not a person. And then when you know the person, it's beyond heartbreaking. And I feel like a lot of those COVID businesses, unless you actually know all the effort, the sacrifice, the work that a person put into it, you're able to almost be dismissive of like, oh, dude, it's horrible. And and then the weather to tomorrow should be good. And you're like, why is that even in the same fucking sentence, man? Like that's a live, that dude invested, that person invested six months and now nothing. It's yeah, it's in the when it's in the abstract like yeah. that, right? It's really easy to uh, either dismiss, downplay, to, you know, disregard, um, or just you know, you you just have a tough time relating and, yeah. and really understanding. I mean, I 
we all see the shit that's on the news. I don't watch the news. I'll catch everything through somebody telling me at work or, you know, if I see something on, uh, I'm only on Instagram. So if I see something on Instagram, um, you know, I can see something that way, but, uh, I've never known anybody that's gone through something like that. I hope I never sure. do know somebody that's gone through one of those, but it is easy to be like, oh man, that's terrible. And I 100% think it's, you know, fucking terrible. And I couldn't imagine, you know, that's usually my way of relating to it is I have a daughter, you know, I have a kid. I couldn't imagine. I have no idea what you do, but I'm not feeling that. I'm, I'm an empathetic person. I'm a sensitive person, but I'm not like, that's, I'm not, I don't think I'm feeling that right. You know, like I'm not feeling it the same. Yeah. It can sound weird to say, but like, it's like, I, I, I guess that's the difference between like empathy and sympathy, right? Empathy, yeah. you understand sympathy, you ultimately like you actually feel, or maybe I have those backwards. But it's, I don't know. I'm thinking now, because you brought up your daughter about like the romantic side of opening a business and your daughter riding her bike to it after school <laughs> and working the counter and clicking buttons and people coming in and being like, and the fucking dogs walking around or some bullshit, you know, like, and I'm like that. And then you like being in charge of the decisions. I'm like, that's the romantic side that should outweigh the fear. Right. Yeah. To me, it's also the, it's the people it's the getting to know people. Like I'm good with faces. I'm good at remembering faces. Uh, again, I like helping people. I like, talking with people. I love the, uh, the, the quick shooting the shit, you know, that was one of the best parts about being a UPS driver. You know, I did, uh, kind of like half business and half residential stuff. So, you know, after a while, you know, everybody, at these businesses, you know, I've seen you, you know, year after year, um, you know, you have a little bit of history with them. So it's, you walk into all these places, you get to shoot the shit, you get to talk to them and you know them and uh, do it again tomorrow. And times that by, you know, 50 or something like that. <laughs> I, that it's a good feeling. Um, I would see a job like that or a business owning something like that. That's part of it too for me is, yeah. you know, seeing those people come in, seeing those people come back. Uh, yeah, it... it you want people to love what you do and the idea of people, you know, coming to your restaurant two times a week or, Hey, whenever we're down here, we always swing by here and grab some because it's awesome. Yeah. Everybody's not going to say that, but you're going to have those people that do. And that's what, yeah, yeah. I think that's what drives it for a lot of those people that are small business owners. And especially like this small town is that kind of shit, you know, like you, they, they become a quasi family yeah. and it's not a job at that point. You know what I mean? Like part of my UPS route wasn't a job. It was like, yeah, I'm delivering stuff, but I get to walk in and see these people and you know, it's a fun two, three minutes yeah. and I walk out and I go in and I got another fun two or three minutes. I love that. So you, you have know, commitment issues is what I'm taking away from that. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'll get there i mean because i talk about it with my my fiance i mean we moved up here only like a 
a month ago. We weren't that far from where we are now. Um, but we ended up, I moved in with her and she was renting a place and then we ended up buying, uh, this place when we decided we want to live together, not rent. Um, and you know, when we drive through our town, um, there's just not a lot here and it's okay that there's not a lot here cause we don't need a lot, but I look at it cause it does have a, like a little historic downtown. Um, and I look and I'm like, this is what they need. They need something like, you know, a, a shop like this. Um, like I want the little downtown area to be revitalized. I want it to have those kinds of shops. And I think you see that more now with uh, a lot of people living, uh, leaving cities, you know, and moving to smaller towns. And then, you know, you do get, I'll say that influx of people, kind of helping to revitalize, you know, some old historic towns. And yeah, sometimes they turn into maybe too much of a hipsterish town. And, you know, now it's like too cool for school where it used to be blue collar and kind of down home. And so, yeah, that, that can happen in places, but also it's really just about like, I like where I live. I want it to have a little bit more than it does just yeah. because you know, I think it's been depleted of population over time. It's not that it's run down and shitty. It's just, you know, I don't think it's had the people to sustain those businesses. So I look and I'm like, yeah, that could be nice. One, that'd be a great food idea. And I think it would work in this area. And then two, yeah, it's just adding to what's around you. To me, it's like having a, you know, like the our house look, shitty out front like the landscaping was terrible and you know it just looked dreary and all crappy i love doing landscaping i want my house to look nice and i want it to you know make the neighborhood look nice it's like me doing my my it's like work right i want my work to be a, a representation of me well my house i don't want it to look shitty and shabby and kind of bring down everything else i want it to i want it to look good and yeah so that same same feeling. I think you're going to do it, man. You seem very passionate <laughs> about it. It's it, no, it's interesting, man, because it really is. It's a it's a cool commitment. It's a daunting task, but if the numbers work out, like what's really lost? It's not really a failure. It might just be a situation that didn't work out, which could be the same thing. Like if your business closed because of COVID, were you a failure of a business? Like, I don't yeah. know if anyone says, yeah, business failed. So if you open it up and you're like, just not enough people here, it's not anything else, yeah. but a numbers game of not enough people or not enough discretionary income. And then you're like, yeah, yeah man, but I like, I tried to make where I live better. And how can that be a bad thing? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it, it, it you know, it's one of those, I think the the financial thing is what scares most people and, and to a deep to a degree it scares me, but that's also not something like I'm so that, that I focus on so much that it's going to, you know, be like this oppressive thing. Now one could say, perhaps you should focus on that a lot more. (laughs) You've got a daughter. Think of her college fund. (laughs) Yeah. That's, but that's also what makes everything go right. Is, is the money. Um, But I think sometimes if you're doing it for that, or if you're, that's all you're feeling and pressured by, then 
it zaps the joy out of it or it it causes you to make a different decision. I mean, I think there's plenty of people, uh, I know there is, and you you probably know some, I know some who they've never thought about money and it's just come, come to them because they're following what they like. They're doing what they like. They become successful at doing something they like and they end up getting paid really well for it. Like, you know, that, that, it doesn't always follow, but having the, the passion and the desire to do something, do it well enough. And uh, I feel like typically the people come, you know, and then how well you do based on that. Some of that you're in control of for sure. And some of it not, you know, what I've been toying with it to make you feel better about it. We'll see is like my, my fiance does jewelry on the side. She makes jewelry and, and she does pretty well with it. And, and she makes cool stuff and everybody loves it and and, you know um she does she vends at a lot of like horse shows um and so i've thought about trying to do like a food thing to uh, like companion vend with her um and that's an easy thing let's say i did bagels for example okay you're gonna you're gonna do a, a, a you know go vending at a horse show tomorrow and you're going to be there for five hours. So, okay, you figure you're going to sell this amount of bagels with whatever. Okay, so, you know, develop a bagel recipe. You make your bagels, you bring them, you have, you know, maybe at that point you're only starting off with a couple things, you know, two different types of bagels and a couple spreads and, you know, I don't know, fucking muffins or something like that. Well, you know, like a lot of things, if you do that well enough and you just keep doing it, and then you're able to do more and then you're able to do more. Well, by the time maybe you're looking to do a brick and mortar, you've somewhat got a following. You somewhat have a, uh, a reputation. Um, market research, what sells, yeah. what doesn't, what brings people back, what. Yeah, for sure. And so that's, uh, I've thought about that. I don't know how viable it is to do in the environment that it would be in, but I was like, oh, well, that could be an easy way to like test the waters. And if nothing else, make extra income and do something fun. I mean, uh, I like I like my when I cook and I do dinner parties still because it's uh, in a certain sense it's a lack of pressure. It's not what earns yeah. my income. It's extra money. It allows me to do something I'm passionate about without the pressure of uh, needing to do it repeatedly and a lot. Now I could stand to do it more than i i am now you know i should get back into marketing it a little bit more and and pushing to do you know however many a year just because it does add good extra income but when it was the sole focus of my income it definitely took away the uh passion and it made it more about a business Mm -hmm. and then that brought this anxiety that sucked that I, i was like okay I don't want to do this shit anymore. Like it, it, it became too much. It became just unpleasant, which was not something I would like. It's like my, my girl who makes jewelry, you know what I mean? You know, it says like, if it was my job, it would ruin it because yeah. it's my creative outlet. She loves to do it. And it's a nice little extra money. And, you know, but once it becomes your job, sometimes it's a different ball game, right? Yeah. Cause it's, there's no like deal breaker. It's like, instead, you're like, oh, fuck, I got a free Saturday night. Never mind. Yeah. You know, or like, oh, I don't have to do this for three hours. I'll 
whatever other passion thing I want to bring on, or I'll be lazy because I've earned the right to be lazy. Right. And it's, it, it's a weird, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not entrepreneurial much. I don't, I really don't think so. I'm a hustler, but I don't know if I'm like big balls business guy, but I do have passion for teaching and teaching doesn't feel like work. I don't know why, even though I have to have a schedule, I have to be there. It's a daily grind for me, but me creating like, this podcast, I don't know if I would, like if I had to edit it, would I start being pissed off at messaging people and being like, fuck man, I gotta sit here and send out 45 messages and I'm only gonna get like four people to reply and then as they reply, and now I'm all in my feelings and I can't just fucking be like, nah man, if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, I'll watch some more office reruns. <laughs> How did you, uh... So it's interesting with this because I listened to podcasts for a long time. I love talking. I'm super interested in things. So for a long time, uh, I haven't in a while, but there was a couple of years there where I was like, I really want to do a podcast. And I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. But then the other part of it was a healthy dose of, of fear. You know, again, that, that fear of, um, fear of failure, fear of what people think, for sure, all that kind of stuff. How many times did you did you do your first episode? Your first one was you, you yeah. know, by yourself. How many times did you do that? Did you do it in one shot and then go with it, or did you do it multiple times and say, "I don't like this, nah, let me redo it"? Fucking roll, man. Oh, really? Yeah, just nice. free, freestyle. It's the Eminem in me. Just yeah, okay. just yeah. I um, the what fucks me up, honestly, more than that. Cause I don't mind the stream of conscious stuff. It's like, and like the promo this year, the intro this year for editing sake, it's like basically a steady clip. And then that's why I do the corny little intro on today's show. We're getting ready to know yeah. it allows a clip and then I can throw in any ads or any reads. Um, and yeah. I've not been super successful with advertisers cause my downloads are so fucking sporadic. It's hard to sell yeah. someone without like a, a certain section of the country that's going to download it. I'm like, I don't know where this is going to go. Like this dude that I'm talking to tonight's near Maryland somewhere. So we'll probably get some good East coast downloads. I don't know if people in Utah give a fuck about him, but I got this Mormon guy in two weeks, you know? So it's weird selling, but the ads are the one where I'm like, I get cringy about, I'm like, Oh God, like it's not right. But I feel like, cause it's supposed to be more professional where the pod is just, it's conversational. It, it, it It's yeah. naturally organic. So the ads That's drive me nuts. I'll read through the ads. Fucking two and a half minutes will take me 45 minutes. Yeah. Interesting. Like that's, that's what gets you. It's almost, do you, do you then feel like the, you know, in a certain sense, the podcast isn't good enough for the ads kind of like it doesn't like they don't match. You know what I mean? Like it's not a, super produced podcast and so uh I can't, if, if i look at it through how i would feel i would for i would maybe have like an imposter syndrome like ah oh this i, I isn't definitely right as far as not being able to get a bunch of advertisers or not liking the way that the advertising reads sound um either or you know either i mean i guess like i i, I wonder if it's uh I could I could understand the idea of uh, because this is 
you know, a loose, easygoing conversation. Uh, I guess what I'm asking is why get self-conscious when you're doing an ad read? What what drives that bit of self-conscious when you, to me, don't have, yeah, you know, don't... appear to be self-conscious? And if you did your first episode, you know, by yourself and just let it roll, you know, without listening back and being like, eh, let me try again. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, I had an outline, um, but I also, I don't, I don't know if it's teaching where you have a plan and you think about what you're going to say and then you just kind of, you're used to speaking in front of people and trying to keep their attention, even though they're kids and they don't give yeah, a fuck yeah. about you or want to give you their attention. Um, <laughs> I, I think the ads, like I get to overthink inflection and point of emphasis and flow. And now like, I, so I, I, I jog. So like I do four miles today. And I'm listening to a podcast, um, Everyday Spy goes on a podcast and I used to skip ads, but now I listen to the ads and I'm like, that was really fucking well read. Like Joe Rogan knows how to read an ad. Bill yeah. Simmons knows how to read an ad. Lex Friedman, he doesn't read ads. How is he making so much money without reading ads and just putting links in his shit? Like that is super interesting. But there's a way to come across as not fit. Ryan Rossillo is great at reading ads and all he does is make fun of like sellouts and it's like yeah. he embraces overselling out on the ads to like mock himself as he does it because it goes with his brand and yeah. i'm like i don't know how to I, I guess i don't know what i am as a pitch man so if you talk about imposter syndrome it is weird because i know who i am when i talk to people i'm just me yeah right yeah. but now if i'm supposed to be if i'm supposed to read about a shady raise promo code and it's yeah. like all right and you don't get a ton of direction and it's like no nah, so here's some stuff you can talk about here's your promo code whatever you do is fine you're like that's kind of a lot of pressure because maybe <laughs> someone hears this at some point and it's like you can be more of shady razor you can be less you know like it, yeah because yeah. i don't know how the industry works and it's and I'll, this might be way too much information so the first ad i got um, was Dewey Crush because I had we have a pretty um, the Starbird which is in Dewey south of Rehoboth. Um, yeah. You said you've been to Rehoboth, so that's like yeah. the big bar. I had Monty, the owner of it, come on the pod. Well, okay, he had kind of collaborated with this drink, Dewey Crush, which is an orange crush in a can, and it's really fucking tasty. So I messaged him on a whim, I'm like, yeah, I got I have Monty coming on, wondering if you guys want to have an ad on this podcast that I do. And they were like, sure, how much would it be? And I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't even fucking know how much I would charge. You know, and yeah. then you start Googling and you're like, uh, I, $100 and I'll put it on 10. And they were like, fine, boom. And I'm like, they probably gave it no fucking thought because they have a budget that they're just like, yeah. yeah, we'll try it. But me, I was like, I don't know my, and that's the imposter syndrome. I don't know the value. I don't know how to yeah. equate what'll happen with this. I don't know if I'm asking too much, too little, what I bring to your business. It's a weird, the business aspect of this, the marketing is the weirdest part to me. Yeah, I wonder, you know, I wonder how that gets, uh, I could see that being hardest starting out for sure. You know what I mean? Cause somebody like, you know, I mean, while Rogan reads an ad, you know, super professionally and super well and all that kind of stuff, um, 
you know, somebody like Bill Burr, if you've ever heard Bill Burr or fucking uh, Tim Dillon, Jesus, uh, you ever hear them read an ad, you know, they'll just clown the ad while they're reading it. You know yeah. what I mean? But they could. They That's could their brand, that. though. They're That's all, their thing. Yeah. They're allowed to be themselves and do that. If you start clowning. Katie Ray's or, or pick an ad that, you know, that's first coming to you. I can imagine them being like, yeah, buddy, like this is not happening. Dude, I got, so have you heard any ads for better help? Yeah. Right. So that's on like ESPN, like Zach Lowe, Joe Rogan, better help advertises with Joe Rogan. Yeah. I applied and they were like, sure. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like you just give these things away or yeah. what? And I was amazed that they said yes. And it was super, super scripted. And I recorded that thing fucking 55 times, dude. And it's 45 seconds. Yeah. But I just felt that like, it's not good enough because maybe the level of others that it went to. Yeah. That, that used it. Interesting. Yeah, man. I, I couldn't, I don't know. I couldn't wrap my head around. And then I'll, you know, like I go to athletic greens and they're like, nah, we go on, we only advertise on podcasts that get like 1.5 million downloads on average, but yeah. here's a free 30 day trial. Thanks for your interest. And I was like, yeah, yeah. when? Yeah. I like that part. Cause that stuff's not, uh, that stuff's not cheap. So yeah, no doubt, dude. It was actually really cool. I got a shaker and everything. That's an interesting, uh, I, I've never thought about that with regards to, uh, to like ads and stuff like that. Um, and that's a part that I, I would imagine, it's like you want to be yourself. You want to just use your voice, what your what your voice is on your podcast. Uh, but I can see what you mean, like knowing that like a person is reading, pick an ad, uh, and then being like, I mean, is this as good as theirs? Well, no, I mean, it's not going to be. But I guess that's like a podcast in general, right? Like I, I you know, probably would stop me, you know, from doing one and I've got, because I have music equipment and stuff like that. So like a microphone, uh, all that stuff, all the, all the stuff you would need. That's not hard. Um, using it, that's not hard. What stopped me is probably the same thing that does stop a lot of people. Is it going to be good enough? Is it going to be, you know, am I speaking out into the void? Is, is anybody going to care? And, and, Odds are you're going to do that for a little while or for a period of time or odds are, yeah, people might not care for a while. Uh, that's what I think's the, the hardest is just, uh, you know, doing it, get it showing up. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's part of my challenge. So I coach basketball and during basketball season, you're a teacher full time. And then it's another 17 hours a week with games and practices for four months in the middle of the winter. So, you know, you can't have a, I can't have two, three hour conversations with people, be a functioning father, functioning teacher, functioning basketball coach, like, and then edit and revise. Right. Yeah. But the counter to that is, well, I'm doing all that shit. You could easily pay somebody. If you really believed in it, you would invest some money and you would pay someone to edit your episodes. You'd pay someone yeah to promote it on social media. And I haven't, like, I guess that maybe that's where, if I look back, I don't know if I will this year, but like that would be the move is going to something like, I think it's Fervor with two Vs or three Vs. Where yeah, people no, like no. freelance. And it's like, yeah, yep. dude, I need someone to market. Like who the fuck wants to market this thing I've created 
make it better, make it get out there, go. Yeah. You'll get whatever, half stake in whatever revenue you produce. Like some offer like that, I'll give you a flat fee, go. Yeah. Like that would be the next move is committing more money into the marketing of it if the goal is to then get advertisers and increase downloads versus just trust if it's good and organic, it'll roll. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh hmm. It's an interesting one. I mean, uh, you've gotten this far, which is <laughs> it's far further than a lot of people get. Um so I mean, I certainly commend you on that because, again, it is showing up. It is putting in the work. It is being willing to put yourself out there. Um, you know, that's a, that's a, a hell of a thing. I guess. Like, would you, so you're putting your face on the bagel billboard? <laughs> like, do you have a that's, logo and a brand like that? Yeah, or You know, that was one of the things about being a personal chef that was hard was it was all, of, it was me. It was the idea that it is all me. That was an uncomfortable thing for me. Uh, really? Like I had a logo, you know, my business name was My Chef Michael. And I had a logo, it didn't have a face or anything like that. It had like a beat uh, with like, a, you know, it's roots in the top and everything. And it just said My Chef, Michael. You know, it was a good, good logo. Uh, but it was odd marketing myself. Like that was an uncomfortable thing for me, for sure. It was... Um, putting any spin on what I did, you know what I mean? And by spin, I mean talking up or like upselling yourself kind of, yeah. or I hate to say exaggerating because I don't know how many businesses are out and out exaggerating, but leaning towards that, you know what I mean? The idea that you're, you know, over marketing and, and over hyping stuff and things like that. Like I didn't, I was not comfortable with that. I didn't like it. I would rather, uh, I would rather under market, undersell and over deliver. Over deliver. Dude, that's that's a pillar in my life. We we might yeah. be kindred spirits. <laughs> it's um it's weird. What the fuck is wrong with us that we don't have like yeah. that arrogance that like so we're not alphas, we're not aggro. No. I mean, I could get that way. It's it could be really weird how I can turn it off and turn it on. When it's all about me, I didn't like it. But when I was in a kitchen and I wasn't the full stakeholder, Again, you know, put me in my little world and yeah, I want to own every aspect of it. You know, it was, it, 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 a lot of it was the marketing. A lot of it was, you know, I'm this good and I can do all this and I don't know. I'd rather just do it than, than, you know, shout it from the rooftops kind of a deal. So it was just, it just felt weird. Yeah, dude. I, and I don't know if you've gotten there. And it's interesting to kind of like think aloud about it, but even fucking like Instagram reels, there was a really long time there where like, I didn't, I, whatever, threw an episode of a podcast on me. And then I had people be like, dude, nobody ever sees you on Instagram. And if you're kind of the brand and if people are talking to you, you got to kind of like, what the fuck are you, man? I can't scroll through you and find you. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm uncomfortable. Like I feel dorky as shit. Being like, let me make this real. But because you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather I, I made one about taking a dog for a walk because a guest was like, get off the screen and get outside. It's a beautiful day. And I was like, fuck, yeah, man, let me stop napping and I'm gonna go for a field walk with my dog. And like, I, I'm like snapping and I'm trying to get like angles into my head. It's kind of nice because you're like trying to be creative and think of 
how you can capture a moment and present it in a cool way. Like I get that does appeal to me, but I feel like a fucking narcissist trying to get the sunlight right and hold a fucking yeah. phone and like, oh, that's cool. Oh no, that's not. Oh, let me look good here. Let me let me make sure my posture is right on my pecs. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Is like, uh, no, I just want to go for a 45 minute walk with my dog and enjoy the sun and drink a beer. Like that was yeah. my goal and it turned into a reel. And it's like, but I guess you need to be able to do that and you need to have the confidence because it's almost like you, I don't know if you owe it, but it is kind of a reasonably expected that you put yourself out there in multiple ways because that would be how ultimately if it's your thing, you've got to show who you are. But I just don't know how to do it. And I feel like it comes across always like fucking clunky because it's like, I'm a boomer, man. I don't know how to do that shit. I don't know fucking, I don't know what music to pick. What's trending on reels? Cool. Goes with it. It has the word walk in there. Let's go. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's building the muscle, right? Like even, I think the same thing with like Instagram and stuff like that. Like I try to only, I put up pictures, uh, you know, I'll put up, you know, certainly pictures of things in my house or, or, you know, like we got, chickens yesterday so i put up uh, like a reel today of some fucking the baby chicks we put them out on the grass to like run around i've never had chickens before so i'm like oh, that's pretty cool i th- feel but, like that's a huge movement as a side note with like egg prices and then they yeah, seem pretty low functioning like low low maintenance when you have the house and they are weird as fuck man if you've never watched chickens and you sit there yeah. our neighbors down the road got some and they don't even have a fence. They let these. They live on a fucking island. So like, it's a road right. island. They have roads on four sides of their property, and the chickens just walk. And yeah. they're like, they're See, mes- here all the time. They're in, mesmerizing. In the that I pass, they just stay right off the side of the road. Yeah, it's like, the intuition's actually kind of weird when you think about like chicken brain, and you're like, you're yeah, a considering idiot. they're a pretty dumb dinosaur. You know what yes. I mean? And you're like, well, they you, you know enough not to get yourself run over by this car. And you look at some of those thick ass back legs and you're yeah. like, you know what I could do? I could watch you just peck at the ground for an hour. <laughs> I've never had them. So I'm, I'm curious to get into it. My, my girlfriend's had them, uh, you know, and so she's, I'm excited. She's very excited to have them again because they also apparently make great pets and, you know, chickens she used to have, she'd be able to call them by name and they'd come to her and, you know, they're very uh, loving, I guess. I feel like that's uh, <laughs> odd to say with regards to a chicken. But uh, it's uh, go- going back to like the Instagram stuff. Like I, I I, put up stuff that I'm interested in. So I hike a lot. I camp a lot. You know, in the warmer months, we're out on paddle boards and kayak a lot. And I ride my bike a lot. And, but I also take pictures of either quotes I like or I'll put up quotes I like. I've resisted talking on there for the same reason one i don't like my voice i don't like the sound of my voice and i should ask you that at the beginning because a lot of people don't like that's another one of those weird things like when i would kind of toy with the idea of doing a podcast you know i have nice headphones that i play music with and so i'd put them on and you know run my you know run everything through to so i can hear my voice on the microphone and stuff like that and it's a nice condenser microphone and all I'd be like, oof, I do not like how I sound. So reels, 
same thing. Like I would love to share pieces of books that I'm reading. I listen to a shit ton of audiobooks and, and then podcasts too. And I like the idea of sharing little bits of knowledge, but I don't like same thing. I don't want to do what you're talking about. I don't want to, I don't want to be trying to find the angle and I don't, I don't like that part of it, which sucks. But like in your case, yeah, I think building that muscle is going to help, you know, same way as you like interviewing people at the beginning. I'm sure it was somewhat difficult, you know, maybe somewhat clunky at times, you know, and then it's probably like anything else, right? You'll be like King Narcissist before you know it. Maybe if somebody <laughs> gives me a fucking $200 million contract to buy this bitch out. Yeah, yeah, and like that—that that goes back to the greed part of when Rogan got that two hundred million dollar contract. I was like, "Am I one tenth of one percent as good as Joe Rogan?" Because if I am, I could make twenty grand. And I was like, "Hmm, like, are there even if everyone in the world tried to be Joe Rogan, like?" who's one-tenth of one percent is good, right? Yeah. And then I'm, I'm just like fucking with the numbers while I'm cutting grass. And I'm like, you know what, man? Like, let's keep pushing and just see what fucking happens. Because yeah. if you fail, I have very low cost associated with it. So that's the Ooh. cool thing about it. It's a fucking $100 a year through Podbean. And Spotify now, apparently you can just post for free. Yeah. Um, and they'll platform it for free. And I'm like, yeah. Um, so the thing I was actually um, going to transfer over to Spotify. So Anchor and Podbean were the two that I initially started with. Podbean, you were able to get like five hours a month for free and post. And I was like, that's what I'll start with. And then I did a couple and I was like, I know the system. It's easy. I'm here now. So I transferred all my shit over to Spotify, but I lost my download history and I thought that would look really shitty had I got sponsors, advertisers wanting to know and like, show me a picture of where you get downloaded, what states, what's yeah. your data range, all that goes away. And I'm like, I guess I could take pictures, but like, does that seem deep fake? It might, again, yeah. might be me overthinking, but that's it. I record on a Mac. I use GarageBand. It's free. And it's like, there's zero investment other than your time. So why not? versus the upshot is, the brick, upshot is huge yeah versus brick and mortar yeah. you know like the well the only other downside is i get fired because i talk about some fucking weird experience in my past and i breach my teaching contract like that's always oh, always in the back yeah, of my mind that being a difficult subject to to navigate i mean it's it's hard uh, also you know the the whole uh, comparison is a thief of joy right it's hard not to look and say one could do what Joe does. You know what I mean? Like he's the best one out there. He's not only the biggest, in my opinion, he's the best. I, you know, people always talk about Howard Stern being a great interviewer. I've never been a fan of Howard Stern. So maybe I, I see it differently, but somebody who can have a great interview or, and or a great conversation like Joe does, it, it looks effortless. It looks fucking easy. It looks like you're just talking. You know, it's definitely not. It's definitely harder than it looks. And then obviously he is who he is and he can get the people that he gets and that helps him and stuff. But 
it's easy to think like, oh, well, yeah, we can all do that. And, you know, I think if, if you, I think this, I think what you do is essentially what he does, you know, taken down and not in front of the whole world. It's having an honest <laughs> conversation with somebody. It's yeah. getting to know somebody. Now we're not talking about anything controversial. We're not, uh, you know, pushing boundaries, saying wild shit or anything like that. But it's, I think the being related, the relatable part is what will carry you. You know what I mean? That's what's that. That's always what he attributes a lot of his success to is just talking about what he's interested in and being himself. You know, you're everybody's fallible. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody needs to change their mind. Everybody's fucked up. Everybody's, you know, uh, you know, pick a thing. Everybody's pretty much done it. And so, you know, it's a, I think having that attitude is the right attitude of like, all right, I'll just keep, let me just keep plucking away. Let me, you know, you're not, you don't have your whole life sunk into it. You know, as long as you like it, I think that's awesome. And and it just allows you to keep doing something that's pretty cool. That's in my opinion, unique. Yeah. It's kind of like unique still jewelry hobby. Right. Yeah. And I'm interested. I don't know how super unique it is but i did do not like, unique like that like the, there's a million podcasts out there there's god knows how many millions of podcasts oh, but yeah. pick look around your town how many people are doing this how many people have uh the same number of that you know what i mean like yeah, that's yeah, where yeah. i mean like it's doing a podcast maybe not unique but like really trying to interview people or not interview have a conversation with strangers and doing it regularly and putting them up regularly yeah you're not going to look around your town and see 30 people doing that i don't think nah um so what i was thinking is it's the randomness that i went for and in exploring the concept i felt so many people got pigeonholed which would limit their potential like if you did a cooking podcast how many total episodes could you actually do? Like I listened to Freakonomics and those guys are fucking geniuses. Steven Dubnoy, I think is his name. And the concepts that he's able to get into with economics, but the production level is insane. I can't imagine how many people work on that and organize the interviews and get the clips and play the music and dub it over. I'm looking at like my garage band. And once I get past like three levels of music, I'm like, I'm overwhelmed and everything he has going on, but he has the resources to really delve into a very broad topic of economics, where if you're trying to start something, plus he was a fucking journalist, you know, when you're trying to start something, you can be like, Oh, I'm really into cars. Cool have a podcast and you get like three episodes in and it's like, how do I talk about my 67 Chevy again? Yeah. And like that to me was like one of the choices of like, maybe just get to know random ass people and understand perspectives. And then I've like morphed in, like I really enjoy politics too. Like I've had people running for office and um, I actually yeah, have someone running that. for like school board coming on and hopefully another person. I'm like, to me, that was like the Rogan influence as well of, like, it's cool that you have politicians come on and you talk to them for like an hour and a half and good for the fucking politician. Cause like, I'll yeah. have them on dude and I won't send them any questions. And it's not like I'm trying yeah. to get you, but they have the balls enough to commit to a recorded conversation for a couple hours. Like that's brave in today's yeah. world. Do you ever press it into, 
do you allow, because obviously I haven't listened to them all, do you, pre- do you ever go for, uh, I'll say, hot button issues? Or do you really just, I mean, obviously you ask questions, and obviously you're asking questions based on certain things, in this case, that I'm saying. Um, but do you go for certain takes on certain things ever? You know, because there's pros and cons of doing that, right? You wade into... Like I just finished a podcast on the, it's called the, uh, I think it's called the witch trials or the witch hunt, the witch trials of JK Rowling. So, and it's, it's really just about uh, a lot of stuff that's going on in, in the trans world and, and the, you know, when JK Rowling, Rowling waded into it with, with some tweets that obviously a lot of people had an issue with and blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a killer podcast. It's very well produced, but it's such a hot button issue uh that those kinds of things are super polarizing but you can also learn a lot about people through some of those hot button issues you know you're you're somebody in canada um trucker convoy would be an interesting one you're somebody in utah um polygamy uh, (laughs) the opposite of mormonism or uh asking them about pornography would be an interesting one you know what i mean like i don't know uh, do you shy from that stuff or d- does it come up naturally at times? Now, nah, if people want to talk about it. Because um, you obviously, I guess, could have, you know, I would imagine you have to do some watching if, you know, as a teacher. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so, to be honest with you, because I'm not representing the school that I work for. Now, if I'm in a classroom spouting yeah. this shit out. Right now, there is something about like portraying particular things in social media. I always approach things like abortion, for instance, with Roe v. Wade. That was maybe like six months ago. And like that concept's one where I don't shy away from it because I'm trying to understand if I was a Supreme Court judge, where would I vote? So I don't come off and I don't do a bunch of research and I don't try to tell people why they're wrong and why I'm right. I try to explain why I feel a certain way, but then I always try to like argue against myself. And I think if you approach it from like understanding, it's very hard to get it would in trouble or someone be upset when it's like, no, 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 this is what I'm feeling. So if we respect feelings, you have to respect my feelings because we've established that as like, I identify as right now attacked, therefore I am attacked type shit. Right. So you can't say I don't, I'm not being attacked because I feel attacked. So we can play that dumbass game all the time. But also I'm trying to understand why you're so passionate. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with, if, if I'm super religious and an atheist comes on, um, being like, I'm not trying to get them to Christ. That was actually a cool one. I had a, the after school Satan club lady on. Jesus. Yeah. No, I've never heard of her, but it just sounds... Super interesting. So that's going to go to the fucking Supreme Court. I felt like I was a little ahead of the curve, but I didn't know how to market it. And Instagram wouldn't let me like share it because it was like some fucking thing. I actually was going to drop 50 bucks on it. Um, But basically her child was proselytized by the like after school Jesus club. And what happened is the kids would go to the after school Jesus club and they would learn about saving people's souls. And if you saved your friend's souls at recess, you would get candy. 
Now, one of the methods that kindergartners used and were taught, according to June, to save people's souls was to ask them, will you be okay with your mommy and daddy burning in hell because oh. they don't believe in Jesus? Goodness. So her child comes home to her and says, mommy, are you going to burn in hell? Are you going to suffer? I don't want you to. Let's go to this Jesus club. So mommy says, where the fuck did you get that? Nope. You know what I'm doing? I'm starting my own religion. And guess what my own religion is going to be called? Oh, Jesus Christ. The, like the church of Satan. And you know what we're going to do? Because you know what the law says? The law says you don't have to acknowledge a deity to be a church. Which is amazing. You get nonprofit stat. I could be a church. I could be the church of podcasting and not have a yeah. podcast God. Interesting. You just have to have a doctrine. So they establish a doctrine, and the only places they open up are places that have this after school Jesus club. And the only reason they do it is to be like, if you're gonna let Jesus in, you also have to let Satan in. And part of their doctrine is that they don't acknowledge sainted and she's going over her tenants and it's like treat people with respect seek to understand science and logic be the best version of you with open mindedness i'm like this sounds amazing like yeah. differently branded 100 percent my kids in there but they got this goofy ass satan logo and it's yeah. it's it was brilliant and i think that might have been like if it is a hot button topic, a hot button topic. Oh, it's a hot button topic with a lot of people. I would, I would imagine that would stir some people up. Yeah. Now, I will say, I think the idea, like you said, is it's a good idea. I can get behind that, but it's funny that she's allowing her desire to, uh, and I'm, I'm presuming, allowing her desire to either win or push back against the other thing, detract from what's a really good idea. I.e. You're, <laughs> you're, you're coming up with such an opposite to throw it in their face and give yeah. them a big fuck you that you're really harming what could otherwise be a great program or a great idea. The infrastructure. You know I mean? like it's it's kind of funny like that. Yes, but I think what she looks at it is She's hoping it's a preventative measure of indoctrination and and like persuasive tactics of like, dude, it's cool if you want people to be saved. I don't know if you need to tell kindergartners that their parents are going to burn and then on top of it, add the incentive of a king size candy bar for every friend you bring. Like that seems yeah, very anti-Jesus, you know, and I, that was I her have thing. an issue with that. You know what I mean? I'm uh, I'm an atheist now. I was an atheist for the most part my whole life. And then I did go to church for a little bit of time and I kind of gave it a shot. And I was like, <laughs> after four years, I was like, I have the same amount of faith I had before. Like I, I just, I can't, it doesn't work for me. Uh, and I love people who have that conviction. Again, people who feel super strongly about something and like truly embody it. Talk about There's starting the business. I, Starting I admire about that stuff, yeah. but I don't want you telling my kid what my kid, you know what I mean? Like, but <laughs> just keep your shit to yourself kind of a deal. Like that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. It, um, I, I just loved, I don't know. 
in speaking to her and like seeing her, she's a fucking soccer mom. Like if you saw her, she's That's a hilarious. petite blonde in a fucking Subaru that just loves her kids, man. And now yeah. she's like suing or in like eight different state lawsuits and it's going to fucking go up. It's going to legitimately be if you open your facilities to anybody to be rented, you have to allow us access. It's access for all or access for yeah. none. And that's what it comes down to. And she's like, we're offering an alternative to this. And it's such a simple concept to such a complex concept that yeah. I'm like, I was fucking in love. I was like, dude, I spoke whatever, two and a half hours. And I'm like, this is amazing. That is kind of crazy. And it makes sense. And I could see it. And uh, I don't know what I would think. I don't know. I, I mean, that's a tough one. Uh, I was picturing her in like a minivan with like the Satan logo on the back. You know what I mean? Like that's who she, Dude, if, <laughs> that's who she is. If you like, I'm assuming if you got a computer up there, if you go after school Satan oh, club Trust me. and just fucking Google the logo, you will be like, that is the corniest stupid shit in the world. And I wonder if she did that on purpose just to keep it like, percent not serious. 100%. Because right? there is another satanic temple that actually wants oh. to like acknowledge Satan and is into Hades and whatever. And she's like, yeah, we're not them. That's why we branded it this way. <laughs> we make it pretty clear in our core tenants. Um, Fuck. Yeah, that's pretty wild. It's a, but that's a hard thing with, um, I think a lot of people also don't want to have those kinds of hard conversations. Like I know a lot of people who don't want to don't like the hot button issues. Don't want to discuss school shootings. Don't want to discuss religion in school. Don't want to discuss. Even just like immigration or what to do with kids and enrollment. Yeah. But immigration is a really easy one, right? Yeah. People lose their mind over it. And I could, if I wanted to, I mean, I could look at it like I could look at it really easy because I grew up working in restaurants. <laughs> I didn't grow up working in the back of the house with a bunch of white kids that I went to school with. Yeah, that's not who worked in restaurants. That's not who runs the majority. I'll say without you know facts in front of me, that's not who is operating the majority of restaurants in this country. It's people who don't look like me who are doing that work because people who look like me don't really want to do a lot of that work. So on one hand, I want to say, yeah, you need people who are willing to do the job in this country. On the other hand, I say, you can go walking into every country in the world. Like name me a country that you can go to without like a passport and being allowed in. Like, I don't know. So it just shouldn't, some, some things shouldn't be as complex as they are. And I don't, you know, it's amazing that it's gotten so big and so fraught. And so, you know, I can see why so many people just want to, you know, like my, my girl, she has no desire to wade into those conversations or any of those waters. She's like, I can't, can, you know what I mean? That's like moving a, uh, uh, you know, a giant cruise ship as like a person swimming in the water. Like I can't swing this any place i can't do anything with this you know what i mean except get run over by it or beat down by you know the facts or you know or climb on it <laughs> yeah jump on the bandwagon 
Right. Yeah, you could do that, but then you you know you you're like a you know monkey throwing shit at some you know what I mean? Like it just turns into this big mudsling. You know, like I think a lot of people get a lot of pleasure from that. It's a a tough thing to avoid especially now like i could that was my thing with the, the lex comment where where you found me you know what i mean that was my point with commenting on his post it was fascinating to see him put up something relatively innocuous right and it was vague and so i didn't fully know what he was getting at but then when i read the comments because every now and then i'll just be like what are people saying about this you know i'm like why are these people being so mean to each other? And why are they losing their shit over something? And why are you trying to like dunk on somebody? Like, you you know, you don't know what he fully meant. So uh, it was bizarre. And then it was, you know, most people were like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I me too. I don't understand it. And, you know, but then I got like one guy that's just like, oh, so we need to agree with everything and don't ever question anything. And I'm like, that's weird because I didn't say any of that. So, like, what are, what are you talking about, buddy? I'm like, trying. Was, I'm trying to remember the Lex comment, the tweet. Some days the feeling of sadness hits hard. No, very few no, things it's, upset it's me. One before that. Very few things upset me as much as weak men gaining a little bit of power and abusing it, especially by manipulating and stifling young minds who have a pure joyful excitement and curiosity about exploring this beautiful world of ours. Ours. Yeah, I will defend those young minds. I will forever defend those young minds. Yeah, nice and positive. Like I don't see who, uh, at the very least, is going to uh, be like he's spouting some Holy dumb shit, shit. Dude, you know, uh, at at the most dude. you're like, yeah, I can get behind that. At the least, you're like, man, that's kind of a, I don't know. Did you have a legit twenty three replies on this thing? Yeah. I mean, now some of that's probably me, but going yeah, back I mean, and it, forth, you couldn't let shit go. Holy shit! I didn't well, read all the replies. So you're like, I can't imagine the majority of these comments make Lex happy. Always so much bickering. So like, you're commenting on the comments about yeah. others' thoughts, and then that fucking sends people into. That just generated. Now, most people, if you look at it, most people were super positive. Most people were like, "Yeah, I agree," but a couple people, you know, would. You know, the one guy definitely wanted, I think he was trying to goad me into a, you know, an argument. And I wasn't going to argue with him. Like, that's, I was trying to point out that exact thing. But it was, it it was, it was weird to comment on nothing to do with the post, but, you know, make a comment based on the commenters. You're actually right, dude. Yeah. Going through it, man. Like everyone was super like, good job talking about people who are just being assholes. But there was a time where, and I think I said it in one of them, if I was younger, if I was a kid nowadays, if I was my 17, 18 to early 20 self, I would feel all the righteousness in the world lighting somebody up and shitting on them and, and giving I mean, you my thoughts. Yeah. Like, hey, you know, I was so uh, not filled up with with good stuff at that time that that would have made me feel good. That would have given me that dopamine hit. And I would have been like, yeah, I'm right. Ah, rah, rah. Now I just look at it and I'm like, God, you guys, if you're following this guy, you, you like his content. Theoretically he's, if you've seen him on Rogan or another podcast or his podcast, he's so smart. He's such a deep thinker. He's so thoughtful. 
he preaches nothing but love and positivity. So I'm like, don't you think it's ironic that you're shitting on people on this guy's, oh, you know, it just, the, the, it was the incongruous nature of what the commenters were doing with the message that he was putting out that I was, you know, making a comment on. And it did, but that's, I can go to all of them and, and look at that, right? I could pick uh, any account that has, I don't know, a million followers and they can say, you know, nothing but nice things. Like, I love Rogan. I know plenty of people who don't. Uh, I know others who, who do. I like his content. I like his conversations. I don't agree with everything. I don't think he's God. I don't think any of that. I just, I like somebody who's willing to explore and, and have a conversation. But then you get the commenters who just like, go off on these weird tangents and you're like, man, I don't know what's missing. Something's missing in your life. That's making you feel like this is getting you something. And that's, I guess, thankfully I'm at a point in my life where I'm not doing that. But I also, I struggle because I'm like, God, if you focus that same energy on your partner, your kids, Maybe your job, uh, you know, seeing a, a sunrise or, you know, taking in a beautiful sunset, you probably have a way more fucking fulfilled life. But I also don't want to preach to people like that. Like, I don't want to because I know that doesn't work, really. You know what I mean? So it's this double edged thing of every now and then I'm like, come on, guys, what are we doing? Yeah, the I, I went through a phase during the NBA playoffs maybe two years ago. A year ago, whenever Giannis won, um, where I wasn't trolling people on Twitter, but I was being a little <laughs> bit of an asshole, like pointing out obvious whatever misconceptions or being like, yeah, but if you really think about it or just being the complete zag guy. And it was fun for a little bit to like see if they would get heated enough to get back at me. And then if I was clever enough to try to get back at them in some way, yeah. but it lost interest. Like after the second game, I'm like, you know what? This is fucking boring to do while I'm watching basketball, like not, not fulfilling. And I couldn't imagine putting like tweets or whatever, a sentence or two or a fucking quip, but like paragraphs of upsetness and like thinking you're screaming at the ocean and making a difference yeah. is so, and like, <sighs> I told them and it's yeah. like, will anybody even see it? Number one. And then number two, did it affect any change? I doubt it. It's hard. It's, and it's one of those things where I think we all want to feel, I think it goes back to, you know, like the beginning when you asked me, uh, about um or you mentioned how some people you know i don't think you said feel self-important but you know want to be on the podcast and yeah yeah i want to talk about it and others are you know maybe reluctant or something like that some of these people just feel like they need to be heard and and i'm gonna i told them and yep the world's a better place now that i can say my piece and and i'm I almost, I, I want to say I get it because I feel like I used to be like that, but I, I just don't because I'm like, man, if you're, I, I don't, I don't see how it works that way. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I look and I'm like, you're, you're again, 
you're you're focusing so much energy in such a wrong place and you know that's where i i I look and i'm like god if you can only just channel that if you have that same drive and determination to spout some of that stuff god that they need to open a bagel shop they need to open a business you know what i mean like they need to you know like channel that like bitch what's your flower bed like have you mulched yeah. lately? When's the last time you weeded? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> Take one of those. Care it's, of your it's front a, yard. I don't know. I, I I try to be better as I've gotten older. Like I've spent a lot of time when I was younger not being a good person. Yeah. And not being a, a good version of me. Uh, and there's part of me that also doesn't want other people to do that to themselves because before you know it. And 20 years can go by and, you know, you're looking around being like, eh, I made a couple mistakes. Like I should, you know, and it's not always a good feeling. And it's one of those, like, it's so easy to get lost in that shit. And I did that to, to fucking people in person when I was younger, that kind of shit of just dunking on people and shitting on people. Uh-huh. And like, I was not a nice person. I was not good. Like it, it's embarrassing when I think about it now, thank God it wasn't online. But I, I try to be positive and that's again, but that's also why I don't preach to people online. And well, it's not real you know. preaching. There's no real relationship. No, it's not, but it's, I guess it's the presumption, you know, of let me tell you, it's one of those, like, like you got I do my best to strategically maybe show that there's a different way. And he, even engaging with those responses, I was like, can I respond to this without like my ego and without being shitty, you know, and can I get it across? Can I get my point across? So there's no doubt that I'm not being shitty, you know, because it's easy to give a response yeah. that, you know, could be like a double entendre. You're like, yep, yeah, I could say this, but bitch, it's also that. And so, you know, you're firing up, you know, like, can I do it so that you, there's no doubt that I'm really just trying to, you know, hear what you have to say and then give you an alternative example or, or way to look at it. The, uh-huh. the regret thing's super interesting because if you come to a place in your life where you are fine with yourself, it's like, do you get there without going through Ooh. shit that you don't want to be anymore? So like for me, Something that really fucked with me, um, I, not having a father, my mom worked nights, so I didn't really see her growing up. I would do my own laundry and I would take care of my own hygiene. And I remember one day leaving a Spanish class. I might've been 15. I think it was 10th grade year. And motherfuckers behind me being like, if he fucking smells like this again tomorrow, I'm going to tell him. But I heard it and I was like, yeah. damn. And I distinctly remember the girl in front of me, I had a crush on and she looks at me and I take it as those eyes of like, yeah, you stink, but I don't want to be like another bitch and add it on to you. But that self-realization of like, dude, you didn't put any fucking deodorant on. Like wash your fucking clothes, man. You don't hang up a t-shirt or you don't grab it from the floor. Like you dirty fuck. And I needed to hear it. And it was embarrassing. And that's not like my regret, but then it led to regrets of what I acted like. But all that to say, it like it changed my behavior. And yeah. I'm curious, do you have a moment that you regret, but you also appreciate? Because you're like, it's helped me to be a better me. And without it, 
I wouldn't be me. That was my Ooh. next Lex Friedman question. Yeah. I felt like that was pretty solid, to be honest with you. Yeah, that is good. I like it. And I, and I, and I like the, you know, sharing your, your own part that, <laughs> you know, might not be pleasant to think about or remember and stuff like that. Oh, dude, it was horrible. I was like, damn, I really thought I had a chance with her. And now, thank God it's whatever. It was like end of April-ish. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to be the stinky dude for the next two fucking months. And then let me get my <sighs> shit right for June. And then maybe Hot Boy Summer comes along and my junior year, I'll be all right. But like it was it, it was something where I was like, I got to make a fucking change. But it was in yeah. the moment. Typically, a regret is you're an asshole. You don't realize you're an asshole. And then you look back 10 years later and you're like, you know what? I'm kind of glad I was. I did that so that I know I never want to do that. or I don't want to even like value yeah. that. So I've had it. I've had it both like instantly and and i've had it uh delayed you know what i mean like um you know when i think of my first job that i had i started as a dishwasher eventually was doing the salads and eventually was cooking and eventually was the one you know doing all the you know, working all the busiest shifts over 40 hours a week. And I worked there for like five years. I eventually had such an ego about me. You know, we would hire a new person and I was so anal about everything. And, and I chased off a lot of people that they tried to hire by the way I acted. And ultimately I was fired from that job and it didn't, I didn't give it enough thought until years later. I didn't see it for what it was until years later. I mean, they fired me and a guy I was friends with was willing to take my position, which is why they were able to fire me. Oh, dude, that's so, dynamic. Yeah, it was like, if you're willing to work all his hours, we'll put you in this position. And he basically said yes, and that led them to being able to fire me. And I got fired in a really shitty fashion by the, the manager who, you know, just called me every name under the sun. And I was a kid. So, I mean, I, I can I can feel bad for myself and not. You know, I deserved it. But when I think about it now, I'm like, yeah, you don't say that to. And I might have been 18 at the time. Probably was. But you're still a kid. You're under fucking 20. You're still, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and years later, I would think about that. And. It, it bothered me a lot because I, I had a better opportunity to just eventually leave. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't need to be done like that. Uh, I think that's part of what led me to have a, a healthy ego in, in certain situations when I was older. And I was to some extent, and not to to make this too much, some ex, to some extent I was the classic like, hurt people, hurt people kind of a kid. Uh, like I, I had some type of hurt in me that made it easier for me to be shitty to other people. Yeah. And the fuck is that? part of it was wrapped up in that job and my ability to do it in the authority and the power I had within that position. And it made me able to kind of wield a bigger hammer than I would have otherwise. And so years later, when I look at it, it makes me cringe. It, it, it's unpleasant to think about at times. Um, but also when I was a UPS driver, you know, 
I was great at my job. I loved it, but I was so kind of like anal in particular, you know, the, somebody else loads those trucks. The drivers don't load it. There's a person whose job it is to work overnight and load all those trucks. And they load like four or five at a time. So they do a fuck ton of work. Well, I'd get there in the morning and I'd take everything out of the truck because it would be loaded right, you know, my way and reload it. And I remember storming up to the office, bitching and, and calling everybody under the sun, not to the, not to their face because they weren't there, but just these fucking morons, this fucking shit, these guys are idiots, this, that, and the other. And this one manager um, who I was friends with, and he was younger than me, but not by too much. I remember him just going, you know, God, you're such a fucking asshole. He's like, you call us a fucking moron and you say we're dumb. How, you know, how disrespectful, like, you know, basically, how do you think you're so much better than everybody else? And he kind of just like walked away. And I was like, oh, and I can still picture the situation. I can still feel it and just be like the, the weight of like that truth bomb just landing on me was brutal and i was like oh i am 100 percent absorbed in what affects me and my life i'm not remotely thinking about somebody else nor am i thinking about the language coming out of my mouth just flippantly calling everybody a moron to me it's like oh i'm just saying moron now to other people you're you're that shit bothers them yeah and you should respect it like it was i was like fuck that's bad. Oh, it's, I mean, I, I didn't solve anything right away, but like that, that shit stuck with me. And, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm that way now. I don't, uh, I'm not that way now. I shouldn't even say I don't think like, so when I think about that stuff, it makes me cringe. And yeah, you, you sometimes, sometimes you need that to, to self, to correct. Yeah. Right. And I, the thing that I was super interested in, I wonder, because you, you seem like you reflect a lot. Why do hurt people hurting people, why does that make hurted people feel good? Because I, I feel like I really agree with that statement. Yeah. And it's like it's a learned behavior. So maybe they're doing it not because they feel good about it, but because it's what they know and it's what they think is normal. Or is it like because I'm hurt? It's that crab syndrome of I'm pulling a crab out of a pot and it's like for some reason all the crabs want to try to pull that crab back down. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't get why that is seemingly a universal truth where when you say it, you're like, that's fucking stupid. Why should hurt people keep hurting people? It's a cycle. No one wants to be hurt. Yeah. You know, and like it's always baffled me. And I'm curious if you have thoughts about why that was the route. I mean, for me, some of it was... So when I would, I became very good at, you know, I have a, a relatively sharp wit. I'm good with words. I'm pretty smart. I became able to wield words pretty well. And then just loudly. I mean, again, I'm six, <laughs> four. Uh, my voice is relatively deep. Uh, you know, like I could intimidate. I could uh, be super bombastic. Um, and again, part of it is my dad growing up, my dad was very verbally abusive. My dad swore a lot. I swear a lot. I swore a lot when I was, you know, in high school, I, I wasn't, 
you know, I'm ashamed to admit, you know, uh, immune from telling my mom to fuck off or swear at her or something like that. As long as my dad didn't hear it, because then that's going to be a problem. But, and he, he was never physically abusive, but he was very verbally abusive. It was like our whole family. My dad was a yeller and he was terrifying at times. Uh, and <laughs> I think when I grew up and found the ability to do that to other people, I wasn't a physical kid. I wasn't a fighter. I mean, I, I think I was able to, uh, I'll say stay safe, you know, i.e. not be physically bullied based on like my size and just my ability to, at the very least, speak up and be loud and be maybe not concerned to get beat up. Um, but it, it definitely made me feel good. It definitely made me feel good to, uh, you know, fuck up somebody else's day. And yeah, but like, why get pleasure from that? The, right. Like get, I, to get one level deeper on it. I think it's because you're in my case, it's because I had that come at me for so much. And it's now I'm able to wield that same power. You're now no longer powerless. You're now not the one who has to take it and who can't do anything about it. I couldn't talk back to my dad. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't stop him from saying anything to me. And then, you know, once you're able to do that, uh, I think for some people that shit feels good. And I unfortunately was one of those people. I think for some people they get in that position and they say, man, I don't ever want somebody else to feel this way. I don't want somebody to have to go through what I've gone through. I wasn't, unfortunately, I wasn't one of those people, you know, I mean, I was also, you know, yeah, I think, I think that's a lot of what it is, is just that ability to be on the other end, to have what you didn't have, which is, you know, I can start this. I can stop this. I'm the one in control. You're not, you know what I mean? Um, and it does give you a bit of a dopamine hit, you know what I mean? It does. It's like, it's the reason why it's one of the reasons why people do the shit online like they do and stuff, (laughs) because you do get a dopamine rush from it. And you know what? It's like any other drug. Once you get it, like I'm, I'm definitely like, I identify as an alcoholic. Like I, you know, I haven't drank in almost five years. Uh, anything that makes yeah anything that makes me feel good i can't do it could be a problem like really it can like i can can that's why you only have one kid yeah only go yeah yeah you know what i mean you know like this this was like a mocktail that i was drinking uh you know i'll have something like that every now and then but it, it never ever bothers me which is the the fun part. Once I stop drinking, like it just never bothered me. It, it doesn't matter where I am, who I'm around, what they're doing. I don't care. I, I just can't do it. Talking shit to people and, and engaging in that behavior gave me the same kind of dopamine hit that like drinking would. And the problem is when you have that high, you you feel worse when you like equalize because you don't equalize. The pain yeah, goes yeah. up more. So you kind of got to keep doing it. So I think there's almost this, you know, ball that you start rolling and, you know, unless you got good people around you or unless you've got, you know, something to focus on, 
I think that shit can just get out of control. And for me, it, it was able to, you know, go unchecked for so many years that, you know, I was just not good to people. I was not, you know, like I look at people now and how like young people and how people, you know, 18 year olds, how caring they are towards somebody else and how that's a real thing. You know, aware of their feelings people are accepting like, like the yeah. like you can shit on woke culture yeah. and it is i love making fun of woke culture because i have to go through those trainings but at the same time <laughs> my daughter today there's a boy i believe he has down syndrome didn't want to go outside beautiful day finally weather broke in delaware no one would play volleyball, stay inside to play volleyball. And it wasn't because they don't want to play with the Down syndrome kid. It's because they're fucking 13. They want to go outside finally. So she was like, you know what? I'm a, I'll, I'll stay and I'll play volleyball with you. And like nice. she gave up her gym class and it wasn't a chore. She was like, you know what? He never hits the ball, but it's kind of funny because he tries and he doesn't complain. He like is goofy when he doesn't. And yeah. he's cool to hang out with. And you're like wait, you're accepting. And she's a fairly athletic kid. You're like, yeah. so you're completely accepting as a beautiful, popular, intelligent, athletic child being seen and yeah. choosing to be seen with a student with Down syndrome. We're like, no, when we were growing up, dude, like, like that's the whole, like they're in the yeah. closet classroom and never come out stuff. And you're ashamed yeah. and it's gorgeous. The, yeah. the acceptance of give a fuck about your pronoun. Who are you as a person? It, it like, blows me away. It, it really is a beautiful shift to see in society. Well, I have to also, I have to, like I find myself having to correct myself or catch myself with my daughter even. You know what I mean? Because I can be, I can still be so judgmental and yeah. so, uh, you know, judgy and look at that person and they're this or they're that i i don't want my daughter to grow up with that yeah, you know what i mean so it's mentality. like having a 10 year old who already thinks you know positively and lovingly about you know all the kids in her class and stuff like that it's not like oh i go to school with a fat girl and i go to school with this like when i was a kid no none of that yeah and so i like I, I have to do better to not spoil that. So it's, uh, but that didn't exist when I was a kid and people didn't think like that. And I was just, you know, I was one of those people who wasn't in a good place and, yeah. and it doesn't, it's not like I didn't come from a great family, which is the, you know, the funny thing. I mean, yeah, my dad was incredibly verbally abusive, but our household was stable. Like my dad made, he had a job, he made good money. And my mom was a homemaker eventually you know did some part-time jobs but you know raised me and my sister and and took care of the house and uh i always had a job and earned a living and you know my dad never hit me never hit my mom yeah he was outrageously you know verbally abusive and but like he was a great fucking guy he was a great dad um so it's it's almost like this weird like I don't know fully what went wrong or where. I mean, I moved from Southern California to Maryland at eighth grade, and that was, you know, super duper hard. And I don't know. I think it was like a confluence of things, um, you know. And then you, you get into something like drugs and alcohol, and that gives you something that you didn't have before. And you know, you, uh, 
yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, I, I think I was just able to wield a, you know, some power that I didn't have before. And, you know, I look at it now and you know, a lot of that shit makes me cringe. That's something I didn't consider. I don't know if I've, I guess I look at myself as like dealing with neglect in the household versus yeah. like that uh, verbal abuse or whatever. And like yeah. being beaten down, it was more just like, I don't know, like, I don't know where my fucking kids, because my mom's working, single mom, like, what the fuck she's supposed to do if she's working 3 to 11 and I get home from school at 3.30? Like, try to yeah. control me from a fucking phone call on a while you're a CNA. Ain't fucking yeah, yeah. happening, bitch. So, I've never thought about, like, having the tables turned, but that's why it's a saying, right? Like, yeah. that's why it's a fucking saying, because... How amazing would it feel when you finally get to not feel the way you felt? Yeah. And a lot of it was, I mean, part of it was, you know, some of it was like early childhood. Like I was told I was dumb when I was a little kid in like early elementary school. My dad would call me stupid and and tell me I was dumb. You know, I'm ADHD and uh, super, I mean, this is, for me, this is good sitting active because I'm usually like drumming and, you Dude, know, you've been locked in, man. Kid. Yeah. Hey, give yourself Dude, a, gold, sure. give yourself a gold star. <laughs> uh, I love it. <laughs> Extra uh, animal crackers. But it, I think it made it hard to, uh, I think that was part of the equation when I was older was like, oh, I can, I can now show you how smart I am. I can now show you how much better than you I am. You know, uh, I can I can be this way, and you know some of these kids, you, you know that I might have said stuff to. Yeah, you would consider them a nerd back then, or you know, pick a thing, pick something other than what I was, which, yeah. as much as I would like to think was you know somewhat part of the cool kids. <laughs> no, nah, like if I look at the success rate of the people that I was friends with, it's probably pretty low compared to, you know, everyone else. So it's, it's always interesting in retrospect like that. But I think that was part of it was just having this, you know, thing in me that I wanted to prove that no, I'm not dumb. No, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not oppressed. I'm smart and I'm going to be the oppressor, you know, and, Good God, like not a not, not a good combination to have. Yeah, I mean, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Drunk with yeah. power. You know, there's so many sayings and then yeah. you're like, why does that happen? And it's like, well, because if you've had that oppression on you, why wouldn't you want to enjoy it? Or why wouldn't you want to get as far away from being oppressed? And what's as far away from being oppressed is oppressing. It's the complete yeah. opposite. Also, just not your example, right? Like it's, uh, you know, that's where having kids is such a responsibility. You know, I I can look at, you know, my dad was great, my mom was great, you know, but there was these flaws in my dad that, you know, manifested themselves in me later on in life. Uh, how much different would my life have been if my dad never had any of that um and that's why when i see 
parents now or see people like it's easy to poke fun at people at, like a walmart or something you see people <laughs> yelling at their kid and like shitting on their kid and you're like fuck do you know what you're doing yeah. especially somebody like me who's like well, man what are you doing don't do that you're gonna create a, this kind of a person like wouldn't you rather build that person up so that you know they end up being in the situation that your daughter was and do the right thing or maybe not even the right thing, but what I would consider the best thing in that situation is, yeah, I'll go and give up my outdoor time. And you know what? Actually, this was a lot more fun than I thought it was. Take a moment. You know what? It was probably great for the kid too. And fun for, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it sounds so corny in a certain sense, but, but it's turned into, it's fucking cool. Yeah. Like it, it seems like it's genuinely cool. It's not like a put out there corny cool. Yeah. It's like, no, you got the fucking clout. And even though you have the clout, you're not being an asshole. And yeah. that adds to your clout, which was not the social dynamic growing up. Like you're a fuck, you're a cornball. You're a sellout. You're just doing that yeah. shit. So it's you're a, a suck really up. Good way of putting it. You're a suck up. Yeah. 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 I, that, that part of what's going on today. I like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it's, uh, you know, you want to have a, I think Rogan, I, I see how he phrases it. I think he does. I think he would usually say like, you want to have, you know, fewer, something like you want to have fewer problems. You need to have like less assholes or, uh, it's something to that extent. I'm butchering it, which is annoying me, but it's the idea that it's a good yeah, you, you want society to be, out, to be better. Like, a lot of it does start in childhood. A lot of it does start with parents and a lot of it does start with, you know, being nice to your kids, accepting your kids, teaching your kids good things and, and showing them the way. And after that, you know, give them a pretty good foundation and, and odds are you should, you know, they'll turn out to be a good human being. Yeah. Right. Trust it. I'm really curious about, um, parenting a daughter. So it fucks with me because I'm a guy. Yeah. I identify as a guy. I believe I'll identify as a guy for the rest of my life. I was a single child, hung out with dudes, went to the military, hung out with dudes. I wasn't a sports locker room guy, but hanging out with dudes. So I feel like single mother don't have the best relationship with her. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know... And it's probably fucked with me in my relationships with females as well. And I have this huge fear of it, of me fucking up my daughter because I don't know how to address daughters when you go with this typical, oh, they're so sensitive. And I'm like, I'll be at times, I'm like, dude, get out your feelings right now. You're being way too emotional. And it's like, whoa, dude. Isn't she supposed to be emotional? Aren't you supposed to be understanding about her emotions? Shouldn't you actually listen to her? Like, quit trying to solve her problems. But then at the same time, like, you know what fucking dads do? We solve problems. We're badasses. We're fucking superheroes. And it's such a weird balance for me. But again, I didn't come from... I feel like if I came from somewhere where I was put down in that way, like you... I would not like fill my kid up with like fake confidence, but like I would go out of my way to avoid negativity. I would fear 
what negativity would do to my kid. Like I fear what neglect would do to my kid. So I'm probably, I'm not a helicopter dad, but I, I'm like, you need to go somewhere. Cool. Gotcha. Give a fuck. Like I want to be around. So like, I guess that's what I'm wondering is not only worrying about the effect of your parents parenting style on you being passed on, but then the gender switch of the effect of it on the opposite sex. When I start going down that rabbit hole, man, I mind fuck myself when I try to parent. Well, you know what, you know, something that threw me for a loop, uh, you know, when she was a little bit younger, I mean, one, yeah, everything you're saying, it is, uh, it's a minefield. It's hard. Um, it's easy for me to, uh, want to slip into like my dad's role and be hard. Like my dad was hard on me. Cause I definitely think there's part of that kind of stuff that builds character. You can throw out obviously all the verbal abuse part of it and stuff like that, but expectations, uh, of being difficult. Yeah. All that stuff was frustrating in the moment at times, but good, good overall. Um, but when my daughter was younger, she started playing, you know, we had her play soccer and my daughter doesn't like getting in, uh, physical situations with people. She was not good at playing soccer. She was not one of those kids that's gonna, I'm going to run after the ball. She was not an athlete. That was not her thing. And the first year she played you know, that's another one of those like embarrassing things. when I think about it, like I was not fully that dad being the total asshole on the sideline, but if you paid attention to me, you could see how frustrated I was. And you can see that I was frustrated with her and you can see how bothered I was by the fact that you didn't really give a fuck about soccer. She wasn't going to chase down a ball. <laughs> she wasn't going to get in there and try to kick that ball loose, you know, get into a scrum. Like, She's not coordinated enough to go dribbling down the field. Like, yeah, that's not her fucking thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, but what she is is incredibly artistic. So what I've done is focused on what she's good at. Like, I, okay, so she's right now. She's not going to be a sports person like I was when I was young. I played soccer for years when I was a kid. I played uh, roller hockey when it first came out in the '80s in Southern California for a number of years. And then I played ice hockey when I moved out here for a number of years. All pretty fucking coordinated things, all hard, all physical as fuck. Um, she doesn't do any of that. And I desperately wanted that because I don't have a son. So yeah. I put a lot on her with regards to that. And then I had to make the conscious switch to be like, okay, this isn't her thing. And maybe it'll never be but maybe it's also just not right now her thing. So, okay, let's put it on the shelf and maybe she comes back to it. But what she is good at is, oh fuck, she can draw really well. Like she can draw a person standing at an angle like this and get it all perfectly right. And she just sees it in her head like that and she can draw it. She's been able to do that for a number of years and I can't do that. I can draw a fucking stick figure. So She's got some. So I encourage, that's what I do. I do like a bait and switch. I just, you know, I (laughs) reach out, which is not good at. I just, yeah, I just let that stuff go. And I say, okay, boom, 
she's great at drawing. So let me do everything I can to foster her artistic side. And, you know, she loves reading. Okay. So I'm going to basically buy you any book that you want or get you what you want, because I want you doing that as much as possible because I think it's important and it spawns her imagination that much more. So it's, you know, but it's a hard, it's a hard, it was a hard sell in the beginning. It was not easy because I was like, I want you to be like I was. I want you to be what I thought the normal kid would be or what everybody in my neighborhood or my little town, you know, it's great for sports. And, oh, hey, Todd's kids are really good at soccer. Fuck, my kid just wants to pick, you know, the dandelions. Like, this is embarrassing. And is it a reflection on me? No, I made it a reflection on me by acting like an asshole. But no one's looking at my kid and being like, he's terrible. You know, a reasonable parent's going to be like, yeah, soccer's just not her thing. That make her, you know what I mean? I was feeling less than by her not having any interest in something. That doesn't make me less than. It certainly doesn't make her less than. So that was was a, a lesson I had to learn, you know, and of course, how you're addressing her, you know. I try to treat you to a degree like I would a boy, but at the same time, and it's gotten harder now. You know, she has some friends that want to call themselves like non-binary and want to say that they're trans and shit, and they're fucking 10. And, yeah. you know, uh, me personally, I think there's a, a social contagion aspect to some of it. Some of it. I, I have no issue with any of it, but I think there is a a social cachet piece attached to it. So I I can be fearful for that. That's you pretty scientific, point. man. Like Malcolm Gladwell's tipping point gets into that yeah. with suicide. And yeah. I forget, I, it's been a while since I've read the chapter, but when I read that chapter, I was like, holy shit, man. Like psychologically... I don't know if they ever figured out why it was so appealing or if they nailed it, yeah. but it's statistically proven that yeah. negative things can spread when advertised and tried to like be prevented, which is so fucking weird to deal with. And the binary thing, it's like it gives the kid, oh, I have this thought, now I'm this, and it's like they label themselves. They almost pick a lane where it's like, dude, no. You have no lane. You just got these wide ass boundaries where you're yeah. fucking swerving. I don't yeah. want you to find an identity at 10. I want you exploring everything. Yeah. It's, it was something that I had to learn. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> to be, well, I had to learn to be less judgmental to her about it. Yeah. As her mother pointed out, as you know, from my ex-wife pointed out. Um, you know, she's getting older and if you want her to tell you stuff and if you want her to come to you, you need to show her that you're open-minded. So yeah, you might have these feelings and you might think a certain thing, but think about not expressing them to her for the sake of keeping an open door. Cause if you do so, you might be closing doors that you don't realize. And then you know, you could have a daughter, you know, this being my ex-wife speaking to me, you can have a daughter that doesn't come to you. Yeah. Um, and I never thought about that. And I was like, Oh shit, that's a fucking real point. Like, 
you know, especially because we live apart and I see her every other weekend and, you know, so you don't have a strong male influence in the life all the time. So it's kind of like, okay, I need to put aside what I think and make sure the door is always open for her to express what she thinks to me so that I can uh, be allowed to be a part of her life as much as she wants me to, as she kind of, you know, comes into, you know, her worldview, man. Yeah. Her age and stuff like that. And, And obviously her, you know, things are going to start changing and she's going to, you know, like I dread all, all all of that stuff because I just want my kid to have, you know, part of me wants her to have a childhood like I had, which isn't really realistic because they don't exist anymore because you have social media and you have this, you know? And so it's like, okay, what, what parts of my childhood can I still give her, you know, the, the, my love, my ear, my time, you know, it's, but it's, it's fucking work being a parent, dude. Like that's, that's I always say that that's why you have so many shitty people in the world because they don't put in the work. It's fucking hard, it, you know, dude. The inconvenience to yourself when you parent making yeah. decisions is what I found that stops people from, or hinders people's parenting. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's, dude, still about it's, them. it's gonna change. Like, for you to raise a kid, you've got to make different life choices for you, man. You can't just tell your kid to study. It might take you sitting at the fucking table with them for 45 minutes to be like, this is how you study. And guess what? You don't want to fucking sit at a table and go over spelling words or algebraic yeah. equations. Like, that's not how I'm trying to spend my Thursday at 6 30. But, yeah. If you want your kid to be a studier, sometimes if it don't come natural to them, that's what you got to do. And yeah. that's tough, man. That's a very tough choice. And to do it in a non-traumatic asshole way is a super fucking challenge as well. Especially if you do have that little bit of asshole in you where you're like, sit down. Yeah. It it It's a yeah. challenge. That shit can come out like if I allow it to. It's one of those weird things where it's, uh, it's odd kind of knowing that you're keeping the top on that bottle. Like it's a, it's a weird <laughs> feeling sometimes, you know? Uh, but I just, you know what I mean? It's like, I know it's there, you know, it's like a, a bit of a volcano. You're like, okay, let's just, you know, how, how do we let out some steam without, you know? Yeah. I was having... wondering like, what, what's the cope? Cause I don't know if you can keep it bottled all the time. Is it the hiking and the nature for you? That that's a big you. one for me is the is the nature um you know uh, it's been winter you know we didn't even have that much of a winter but winter yeah. hindered things a little bit where we weren't able to get out as much as we would you know my girlfriend and i um but getting out in nature is a big one for me you, you know probably more so than anything is just trying to take in as much good stuff in the day you know, like the window I'm facing out of right now faces west. It faces uh, these mountains we have over here. And uh, so when I leave for work, I drive south and I can see, you know, when I'm leaving and I'm kind of going south to the right of me, I can see the moon, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, off in the distance. Um, 
you know, and, and when I look to the left of me, I have the sunrise coming up and stuff like that. And it's all over farmland. So it's super fucking pretty. Mm. Uh, I just try to take in as much of what I think is pretty, I think, in a day to keep me or to keep me happy, to keep me feeling good, to to see the good stuff. Uh, because being, you know, yelling, being an asshole, you know, losing my shit, like those are all, you know, so negative and they're like self-defeating. Like it's, yeah. it's, a, it's one of those things. It's like, it's like if you're a, a, an alcoholic and you're trying to stop drinking, you know, like this, I've done plenty of times where oh, I, it's the last night or I'm not going to drink tonight. You drink one and then you're like, well, fuck it. I've already drank one. So I might as well drink some more. Yeah. Like the more you're an asshole, the more it's easy to continue to be an asshole. But for me, the the more I I'm really aware of my surroundings and I take in things that I think are beautiful or I think are cool or neat, pretty. Th- those are the things that can then help like float me over through the that shitty river, you know, that I kind of got across every now and then. Um, I don't know. I'm by no means perfect. I'm, I, I'm such a fucking flawed individual. You know what I mean? Uh, but I do my best. And if I fuck up, I, you know, I'll be hard on myself, but I try not to be so hard that it's like, you just say, fuck it, you know, and yeah. turn into somebody different. Cause I don't want to be that way. You know, like it's, it's so unpleasant. It's so ugly, but yeah. it's a fight. Cause it's just there. Yeah. It's really weird how you can have a nature within you that you don't enjoy. It makes me think of like my lab, like does my lab not actually enjoy chasing the ball? But for some (laughs) reason, she she just fucking does it. Cause like, it's, I just got to go get it. (sighs) Ah, she's like, I fucking hate myself. I went and got that tennis ball and this motherfucker's going to throw it again. And all I'm going to do is chase it. And it's so fucking stupid ball. And you're like, Could the dog hate the fact that it chases it? Maybe. And like people have those, but people maybe, I don't know, it's our like awareness that we're able to speak about it and reflect that we can hate parts of ourselves, but we also have the discipline and the knowledge to try to stop it and to try to cope. And I feel like that's the ultimate, like human, like that's the ultimate goal is don't, I don't know. If you're not happy about something, figure out a way to be happy about something. Figure out a way to exist where you're not disrupting others. Perfect doesn't exist, right? So the people that want to say they're perfect are are delusional, Um, you know, full of shit at the least. Maybe for a moment, right? So like perfection exists for like a moment. I think of perfection like smoke. It's not a foundation, Right. You can, that sunrise you described, dude, like I I was fucking, I was thinking to myself, like I roll in to pick my daughter up and there's this tree line and then it's a little bit of a hill. So in Southern Delaware, we don't have mountains. I think it's like maybe a 60 foot elevation at best. Right. But you see this sunrise over a farm field through a silhouette of blackened trees with clouds and you get the colors from red all the way to yellow through pink. And you just take a moment and you let your breath out and you see it hanging in the air. And you're like, everything's so fucking still. And you're just, you sit there and you, or you stand there and you're like, this is 
like, I, I don't know why I appreciate this, but I know this is beautiful. Yeah. And you take it with you. And that yeah. moment is perfect. Now, will that moment last? No, it's gone. And as soon as I go and get my kid and we come back, I'm like, Shiloh, come check out this sun. Oh, it shifted. Yeah, yeah. Clouds moved. Yeah, yeah. So like perfection's not maintainable, but it's like momentary. Yeah, for sure. And But there's, you know, you get the people who think that they are, uh, and perfect's probably too extreme. They think they're not, bad they think they're not flawed they think they're not whatever i don't think it's a problem noticing your flaws i think it's a problem i think there is however a problem if you allow your flaws to drag you down you know like if i'm such a fuck up and you know you're drinking or something and and it just you enable yourself to keep drinking or keep doing drugs or whatever because that feeling of being such a fuck up or being odd, you know, where I think becomes your you identity. Want to be, That's who you huh? are. You are the fuck yeah. up. You are the alcoholic. Yeah. You don't want it to be that for sure. I think where you want to be is, yeah, I have this in me. I'm not proud of it, but you know what? This is what I do to uh, fight it, to stop it. Um, you know, this is how I offset it, you know, I mean, to by being so positive by being, you know, it could be doing yoga, it could be baking, it could, it could be whatever really fills you up. But it's, to me, it's a matter of being mindful of that kind of stuff and being like, you know, and, and, and there's other simple things like exercise, you know what I mean? Stuff, there's other, you know, pressure relief valves that, you know, I can, kind of pull like I love physical exercise I play the drums I like that I love you know there's things I I definitely like and do that ease stuff for me but I think on the daily basis you know like my version of kind of a Prozac is to try to take in (laughs) you know what's around me and what I find beautiful and and what I like and choose to see that stuff um I'm an incredibly big cynic. I could be extremely negative and all that stuff's there. I just try not to let myself run away with it anymore. You know what I mean? But it's, I would rather be that way than be somebody who be that person who still doesn't see anything wrong with how he's acting. You know, if anything, I'm just too, I'm probably too quick to admit my faults and admit my flaws where, you know, it's all right to have them. But admitting them is also, you know, kind of one of those, uh, not admitting them in general, but bringing them up a lot and kind of like, oh, I'm like this. I'm like, you know, there's something about that that I need to, that I don't think is healthy, you know, because then at that point, you know, I feel like you're not giving yourself enough credit, you know, and it's like, at what point do you stop shitting on yourself and giving yourself credit? But then at what point are you maybe giving too much credit and you don't want to they're getting way out of balance. So it's, it's a hard balance to strike, but you know, I don't know. I, you know, I, I could be the nicest guy in the world and then I can turn around and a, some joke that plenty of people think is fucking terrible. And I'm like, it's a, it's a joke. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's, I don't know. We're, we're humans, right? Humans are some fucked up people. 
uh, uh, to each other, who knows if you really are and like, who knows who actually determines what the judgment is. It's a weird ass hamster wheel, man. Our, um, our self-consciousness. I was talking about dogs to someone else because everybody seems to have a dog and I just got one not that long ago. Yeah, and it's amazing when you start watching them and it, they really do seem so fucking simple. It's like, is there food available? Cool, I'll hang out. If not, I'll go lay somewhere. Now, ooh, are we doing something exciting? I'll be a part of that. If not, I'll go lay somewhere. Wait, I have to take a piss or a shit. Let me stand by a door. Will you let me yeah. out? Cool, I'll go out and do that. And it's like, they have such like simple, like it just seems so simple. You wonder about their mind and like when they're laying in their kennel, like my lab could lay in her kennel if nothing's going on for fucking hours and seem like completely content to just fucking be in the moment. Like she's Zen. And it's like, are you bored or do you even realize bored? Right. Like what we call bored and what we call the need for stimulation. Like, do you even have that? Yeah. You want to go for a walk. Yeah. You want to play for a ball. But at some point you're just like, I'm fucking done. I'm not chasing that thing no more. I'm gonna go lay somewhere. And you're like, okay, I I guess we're done. And there's a beauty to that simplicity. The whole ignorance is knowledge or the ignorance or knowledge is suffering. And it's like, yeah, man, that's, there's some truth to awareness and overthinking versus maybe it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. There's times where I wish I didn't, uh, I can overthink everything. I can be far too introspective. I can be far too, uh, you know, fucking hard on myself. Uh, and there's plenty of times where I'm like, I wish, I wish I just wasn't like that. Like I would like to go away. And I think it's also part of, for me at least, why I use drugs and alcohol like I did, you know, uh, in my years and stuff like that. It was like, I just want to feel different. I don't want to feel the way I, I, I am right now. And some of that's a good, bad feeling, but some of it's all also, you know, I'm aware there's some people that don't have a super strong self-critical mind in it super strong who don't self-analyze all the time and and there's times where i get frustrated with those people and then there's times that i'm completely envious of those people yeah. right like you just want to want to be like man this person just seems to go through their life and you know i'm friends with them i've never heard them express feelings of being super self-critical and all this stuff and sometimes it can get annoying and other times i'm like hey that seems like a pretty good way to be fuck Ignorance is bliss. Knowledge is something. One hundred percent. Yeah. So it's it's uh, you know it's like I guess it's like everything, right? It's a balance. Yeah. So striking that balance is art. It's, but what it is is it's why the yin yang was so cool, and we didn't even realize why it was cool. Because you're like, wow, yeah. it really is about a balance. And then within that balance, within all the light, there is darkness. Within all the darkness, there is a little bit of light. And you're like, yeah. that's true balance. And it's so fucking simple. And I have no idea why I and all of my friends were drawn to yin yangs, but maybe that's why humanistically it's yeah. just like, it's what we crave. We crave that balance. Well, it's also easier when it's, uh, when it's that simple 
And I want to say it is that simple. A simple status. A simple, simple status. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I remember those growing up, you know, necklaces, T-shirts with it. And, big time, uh, man. Sneakers, you know, skateboards, or early skateboards had it on it and stuff like that. Uh, and it's funny. Like, you're exposed to it at such a young age, but then at some point you just... It's a, It's almost like it's so basic that it goes over our head. You know what I mean? Like, you don't really understand... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a hard one. I, I try to beat myself up only the proper amount now. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> how can I, how can I really shit on myself for, you know, something, doing something dumb? And then, you know, how can I give myself credit too? Yeah, man, dude, I did not think we were going to, um, talk this long, man. I'm kind of glad that we got to like reflect on dadding though. Um, it's, yeah. uh, it's an interesting place to be as a dad and the weird responsibility of the aggro versus the emotional. Well, for sure. And it's, I mean, I, you're a, a single father, correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I don't have her full time. I see her every day, Yeah. but yeah, 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 not with her mom. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a different, it creates a different yeah. dynamic for the father, it creates a different dynamic and a, a different situation. Um, and I think in, you know, we're, we have kids at a unique time and especially a unique time for women, unique time for girls. If, if you want to, you know, look at some of the trans stuff and all that kind of thing, like it's, uh, such a new road that, you know, our group of, kids have to kind of go down that and process uh, yeah i, I yeah. don't even know if there's like i'm trying to think of what was it was gay like being gay was so out there and there yeah. was like this shame and then there was this like education for like accepting and then there was this like realization of wait you're not gay you're jeff you're just the fucking yeah. guy I knew and wait, you like cock instead of pussy. Okay. And like, yeah. then all of a sudden you like come to be like, wait, you're a person. Wait, I knew a gay guy and the yeah. gay didn't rub off on me. I'm not gay. Cause I'm next to a gay guy. Like it was so fucking stupid. The stigma. Yeah. And now it like, it's a fear thing, right? It's a what? Fear thing. Yeah, because it's unknown, right? And that's the mutants yeah. and the X-Men. It's like you fear the unknown and those are the parallels. And I guess every generation has its new new thing. When the older generation, it's not it they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to navigate their children through it. And it's it it feels uncomfortable. But it yeah. I feel like it is somewhat cyclical. Yeah, there always does seem to be something. And so I'll be I'll be curious. Um you know, there's part of me, I, I ask this with the guys I work with and they're a little bit younger and well, a little bit, they're like late twenties, you know, I, I was telling them they should get married because they've been dating their, their girlfriends for a while. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, after two years, you pretty much know, like, come on, shit or get off the pot. But then I also think like, if I was them, would I have kids now? Would I think consciously about what's going on in the world and decide to bring in a kid or what I feel, you know, 
and uh, and I don't know. I mean, I'm beyond thrilled to death with you know to have a child and to be a parent. Um, but then I see why it's also such a hard fucking job. It's scary being a parent. It's scary uh, letting your kid grow into something that you don't know what it's going to be ultimately yeah. and you don't have control over that where uh, you've poured so much passion and control into where you've tried yeah, you've to kept them alive this long shit yeah no doubt it's but we're also like the i think several biologists i feel might maybe all rogan bros have been on to be like what other fucking mammal does this for 18 years yeah you know, like even if your kid lives to be a hundred, like twenty percent of their life is with parental parameters. That's yeah. maybe we're doing it excessively. Maybe by the age of ten, it's like get the fuck out there. Yeah. I read a book about Mongols, and it was like at three and four they were riding horses, and by the age of ten, if you didn't have slaves, you were a fucking chump. And it was like Ooh, something to be said about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that 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 um, baby. I don't know what baby. I would call it. That uh, I don't want to say aggression. I don't want to say like that spirit, but that uh, way of life. You know, it's the whole growing up young. Like we don't want our kids to grow up young. Yeah, you right? maintain the innocence. But why? You know. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I guess it's just because we're so unique. I was trying to think, like, why don't we want it? Why is, I mean, some of it's a financial thing, right? Some of it's, um, you know, uh, uh, some of it is, is pretty obvious, house, car, travel, bullshit like that. But then other stuff is, you know, like, is that going to, where are, are we harming the kid by doing that? No, I don't think so. You know, depends know. on the expert, man. You know, it depends on the research, depends on the lab, depends on so much shit. Yeah, it does. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I, I love having my daughter for sure. And I love. Uh, yeah, it's a really cool challenge. And who fucking knows? Like, I don't know if there is one right way. And who knows? Like the conversation we'll have with our daughters when we're 55 and they're 25 or 30. Right. And like yeah. they're telling us different perspectives and hopefully the, the biggest thing that like I try to remember is I hope my daughter feels comfortable enough despite the fact that I'm stern as fuck is like hopefully you can talk about what's going on with me. Like what you were saying, keep the door open. Like that's yeah. ultimately my goal as a dad. Um, yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty good goal. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much, Mike, for coming on, um, yeah. for shooting this shit, man. I um, I just, I appreciate, I appreciate you being open about, I don't know, just job careers and perspectives, man. It was a, yeah, it was totally. a good talk. I thank you for uh, for having me. I've enjoyed the conversation. And again, I like, uh, I like talking. I like getting to know somebody. Um, I like hearing different things, and and uh, I like sharing stuff. So I'm 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 pretty open, pretty easy with all that stuff. Uh, you know, warts and all kind of a guy. So it works. <laughs> warts and all kind of a guy. I'll put that in the description. <laughs> oh, that'll go over well. <laughs> all right, man. Have That's a good night. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. You do the same. Yeah, man. Night. Good night. Huge thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Homeboy's been down since just about day one. 
If you have not already, search him up, Andre Psyche, on social media. Give my man a follow for the fuck of it. Please, almost more importantly, do not forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Five stars, five stars, five stars. If you have not already, continue with your gracious clicking, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And if you're feeling super generous, as in that ching-ching monetary type, go to our Patreon and support the pod for as little as $2 a month. Oh yeah, and if you know anyone who'd like to be a guest on the pod, go ahead and send their contact info our way. Slide them up into my DMs. Later.